Yeah, I mean, if he's busy, that's okay. But if he wants to be on it, the more the merrier. But he's not showing up because he's not online. I told him at 7.45, so he may still be kind of like lying. Okay, hold on. We'll give him three minutes. <laughs> yeah, not, I know not you're like you do to me. <laughs> not like you do to me and call me early. Hey, I called you at 6.30. You weren't there. I sent you a text and said, you are late. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Today, you're right. Normally, you call, you call me early. <laughs> Actually, I was sitting around here. I'm like, why is the phone not ringing? Because I don't know. This is very odd. No, no. <laughs> no, well, yeah. no. What happened was the you know the phone's on vibrate, so I didn't hear it. And normally Skype comes up and tells you something, and it didn't do anything. Okay. Yeah, <coughs> so, Chris, he's on the uh, Illinois or the Missouri side. He is on the Missouri side. Okay, I like that bluff he sets on up there. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah, he, he takes some amazing photographs from that, and he's really lucky to have it as his backyard, you know. <laughs> so, and there's uh, – who is it? BNSF runs along the bottom of the It's property? actually UP. UP. And he the did ex, a – The ex-Missouri Pacific Line. Okay. You know, it, it's really cool because he did that bluff as uh, a model on his home layout. He just took it out recently for um to put in a narrow gauge through there instead but but just the fact that he modeled it i mean it was really cool he did a a survey of the of the ground contours and the land formations and just replicated it exactly so where is he ken he's still not there well it's it's only 644 so (laughs) so where did you see them did I post? Did I post the pictures on, on our Facebook? Mm-hmm. On the 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 the, the Road Hobbyist Facebook. Did page. I? I never yeah. Thing on that. That's amazing. Hello, Mr. Patterson. Hey, man. <clears throat> You're gonna friend request me? I did. All right. And Which you replied, I think. What's the name of your handle? Uh, either Paul Gillette or Duck Dogger. I got Paul Gillette here. Yeah. Duck Dogger is the one that you want, though. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. All right, Ken. Hey. Coming in clear now. I got a pace, and I can't pace plugged into the wall. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> oh, dude! I just, I just ripped, I ripped open half of my layout. I got another twenty feet to walk now. Okay. I'm so done. We're all in the same room. We're all on the same page now. Yep. Okay. Well, let me just do the intro, and then uh, we'll get this going. Hey, and welcome to another uh, episode of Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gillette. Joining me, Christopher Palomares from the chilly confines of uh, central Illinois. We've got James Lincoln up in New England, equally frigid. 
And then special guest tonight, Ken Patterson, all the way from St. Louis, one of my favorite towns in the whole United States. Welcome, everybody. I'll Thanks, sell Paul. St. Louis to you, man. I'll make you a deal in St. Louis right now if you want to buy it. Well, you know what? <laughs> Spent a number of years out in St. Charles and uh, St. Peter's. My kids were both born in uh, St. Louis, so. Oh, it's real nice out there. That's real nice. I, I love the area. Love the area. So getting ready to move to New Orleans. Another hot and humid. Well, mostly humid for you now. Oh, man. I tell you. It's uh, hopefully this is the last move ever, but you know, we've said that before. And next thing you know, there's a house for sale and we're getting ready to move. But I held out for, I said, got to have a big train room here. I'm not uh, leaving the warmth of uh, Phoenix to go to New Orleans for anything less than 25 by 40. So she said, not a problem. She could make it happen. So I'm trusting her. So it's not dollar amounts that move you there. It's the size of the house. Yes, and that is totally to accommodate a model railroad. Oh, dude, that's passion. I know. Sick and twisted, but it is passion. So what can I tell you? <laughs> we all have to be someplace. So, Chris. Yes. is happening from your perspective in the wonderful world of model railroading? Well, we're just seeing a continued evolution of going from, I'd say more people are building, putting time in building layouts and less time in building the, the models that run on it. Not saying that no one's doing it, but as far as like uh, the majority, it seems like most people are kind of going to focusing in on, on certain, maybe certain particular models that are really, you know, special to them. Yeah. And then also kind of putting more effort into building a layout, which is cool. Okay. Uh, do you guys see uh, the market, you know, softening just because of seasonality or is it uh, based on your orders and stuff like that? Or is it uh, still running strong this year? Well, things are running really strong for the, the products that we've put out, and we're really excited about that. Um, it doesn't seem like there's any particular slowdown than the ones that we make for ourselves as a company. So um, with that said, it, it's really up to uh, the market to uh, absorb all this stuff that we produce. Um, I, and I see it happening. There's a constant demand for new things and um, models that haven't been produced at all so there there's still a lot of ground to cover as far as like that is concerned so and then there's also you know the technology that's coming along too that kind of helps keep these new models fresh you know it's sort of like last year's car you, you know uh, yeah you, you change some of the options and features enough that it becomes an all new you know hey i want to refresh on that you know on the retail side uh, we have yet to slow down from when we, you know, the uptick at the end of October. Uh, we've yet to slow down. Really? And we're in March. And it is just, uh, it's just amazing the money that people are continuing to spend. And 
I've seen a shift in the, the demand. And part of that is we had a gentleman who worked at the store who decided he didn't want to work anymore. And he wasn't a uh, DCC guy. And so when somebody wanted to talk about that or whatever, he just kind of would just, you know, clam up and stuff. And since he left and I've been filling the void, you know, and shoot, I'll talk about DCC and sound and stuff anytime you want. We have seen a, and going on 10 weeks now, decided shift in what people are buying. I mean, we're buying more from Athern DCC sound as well as the other suppliers. And people, you know, my age group down to, uh, well, you guys are younger, but, and then they're wanting to learn how to do DCC and sound, you know, how do I cut these frames? What speakers do I use and stuff? So, uh, boy, at least here in Phoenix, people are embracing the, uh, the DCC and sound, uh, technology. Well, you know, this question actually goes out to Ken because, um, at what point did you become interested in DCC and sound? Sound. We did the PBL foreground sound system when that first came out back in 1991. Jimmy Peters paid me, gave us five grand to take the layout to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania and act as a platform to just demonstrate a system. And it was infrared and it was fascinating. And the guy here in St. Louis, David Sandell, was developing it in University City out of a small little space office warehouse that he had uh, rented out. And so I, I found myself in his office more often than not, just checking it out. And it's like, what's this all about? Da, 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 da. And to me at the time, it was just kind of a thrill to entertain your friends that came over for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And other than that, it was annoying. The steam chuff sound constantly running around your basement for five hours would drive you crazy. And I just, I didn't want any part of it. Um, then I did an article on uh, DCC for Rail Model Journal about 15 years ago, maybe 17 years ago, and I got hooked up with Digitrax, and they sent me a system, uh, Super Chief, with the radios and multiple throttles so that I could actually walk around wireless with three or four different cabs, and that's when I really bit the bullet and got into DCC to the point of understanding it enough to use it, utilize it. Once I got that Blackstone account, Soundtracks account, about a year and a half ago, uh, dude, I went kicking and screaming. I didn't want to. I did not want to know what F11 did. I could care less about any of that stuff because I just wanted to operate my layout. But the more I got forced into it, kicking and screaming, and the more I learned the technical side of it, learned how to actually write bits and write code and and do all those things, it turned out to be really easy once you learned it, like driving a stick shift. And it's enhanced the model railroad now to the point where the sound is so fidelity, the fidelity is so correct that it's not annoying to listen to anymore. That's one of the things I would say about Atlas was coming out with their original decoders with the, they, there was a diesel like sound that emanated from the locomotives and they said it was an Alco or a EMD or a, or a GE, but they all sounded the same. <laughs> they all, there was, there was, there was a noise that came out of the locomotive, but it certainly didn't sound like any diesel locomotive I had heard. You can't say that about Tsunami. And what uh, Ken touched on there is just the sound files now are so much, I mean, you can't say they're so much better. I mean, it's a whole new paradigm. And I think ESU has notched up that game with some of the stuff they've got out. I mean, Ken's right. It's just 
it's a whole level of enjoyment because now the sounds are fitting the operation, the motor control, you know, these locomotives coast, they go into idle, then they they notch back up. I mean, it's just getting closer and closer to being out there like you, Jimmy, in the uh, the cab. Yeah, the only thing that we're that, that's missing now, you know what? You're right. It's more like in the cab because when you're on the ground as the conductor, it's a diff- totally different experience. There's less diesel noise and more ambient creaking, banging, screeching. Okay. Which which soundtracks is also now work with the sound car. I think Ken Patterson has a video he took of the sound car. It's pretty neat. Well, what was your first impression of it? Well, I when I first got them. Um, I, I was just asking, what was your first impression of the soundtrack sound car? All right. When I got the soundtrack sound car at first, my first photographic job and video job with, with it was just to listen to the refrigerator car sounds. And I thought the sounds were all cool and neat and stuff, but we had that 10 years ago or 15 years ago with a battery-operated car, and it went brrr, and it ran around the layout like a refrigerator car. So I'm like, what's the big deal with this thing? And the girl I worked for at Soundtracks, Tracy, explained to me that, no, you don't understand, Ken. This thing has got programmable sound features in it where you could have 10 different variants of sound, whether it's the joint bars or the clickety-clack sounds or the, you know, and and not only that, but as the speed of the train increases, the sounds increase at a speed that would match the joint bar clickety-clack of the train. And sure enough, once I programmed all this in and learned how to use it to make the video for them, it was far out. Because by the time you put four or five of those in a consist of 30 cars, and as it's coming past you in the room, you start hearing the flange squeal. And these various sounds that you're so used to on the prototype that all you do is you crack a grip and they win well i've got three of them in the store to put into blma reefers so now you're getting me excited about getting that in and getting them on the uh railroad there at the store it'll sound good it'll sound good and let me tell you what point of presentation sale you don't have to say much you just got to have them in stock (laughs) that'll help paul over there in the hobby shop yeah there you go Well, well, let's talk about some modeling that you got going on, Ken. So I was telling the, the podcast crew here about your bluff scene that you replicated based on um, your property that you live on. And you just recently took that out to expand your narrow gauge. Uh, what's your plan for that area now on your home? Right, now, right now I'm building an ather and ad on it because the flat t- tabletop the bluff was on was 14 feet by hey, what that's a whole nice new work surface for me so i might not build anything back there it was the bluff was like a boat anchor all right okay cool it's neat you built where you live you can stand there and look at it and it's good for about 10 minutes and then after that it was only good for entertaining people where it was like the feature of the layout where oh yeah this is where i live especially when the lawyers came over for a courtroom model they're like well how accurate are your models can you describe it to us and i'm like yeah sure look around the yard here and then i'll bring you inside and i'll show you the whole place in model form and so that was really neat too but after 10 years of doing that i mean how long do you have to be married to a sectional layout before you can tear it down so i really fought with that in my head and i felt like you know somebody died but i wasn't going to the funeral didn't care so i just ripped it down it's in the garage i cut out my section of property so i can make maybe a neat little display with that but 14 feet of bluff is gone. I sold the Merrimack River to Joey Stein for a hundred bucks. That just was instigation for me to really get started because once I had that river ripped out, it opened up space. So I've third, I put down two miles of three rail track. Uh, what I did was I took my HO scale track and put a third rail in where most of it was hidden staging in different areas where I could run the narrow gauge stuff on the HO scale track and be able to run models down here 
without having to have an additional layout. So all I've simply done was incorporated it into what I've got in a tactful way where it doesn't take away from my HO scale scenes that I need to make a living with. So you got like an Athernad going on to to a part of that open area that you just created? Right now I've got a, a switchyard scene that we've been discussing and planning oh, yeah. for about six okay, months. So- and, so that's, and it's that's laid back there. there where it'll be a versatile diorama where not only will we nail the picture dead on, track work, everything will be just exactly like what's in the prototype photo that Atherin supplied me to replicate. But then I think the diorama is going to afford us a lot of additional photography because it looks like it's going to be eight feet long and have two or three good sides to shoot. So that diorama is one of those that kind of fits into the layout and you can also take outside. That'll probably be a freestanding module where it will not work into my home layout. But oh, okay. uh, Absolutely, yeah. It's certainly one of those outside dioramas for sure. The garage is full of those. How many of those do you actually have? I've seen a number of them in in the videos for the magazine, but how many of those dominoes do you have? Dominoes, you nailed it, baby. I, I backed out the tractor with a plow to plow snow yesterday, and I, I stood and I looked at them as I was backing up, and it was like, there are a lot of dioramas <laughs> in this garage. It completely fills a car garage right now. There's, there's barely room to walk in there. I've got 50 different dioramas in seven different scales and, and two different seasons. Wow. Not to mention not to mention desert and then green deciduous type scenery. So I've got all the parameters of the United States covered in that garage where if I get a job in O scale three rail, boom, I got six dioramas to pick from. <laughs> if it's H O N thirty or O N thirty or H O scale or just plain O scale, or in fact I've got one that's thirty feet long, it's three sections, double track mainline for G scale, super elevated, so that I could shoot some really cool Aristocraft or Train USA ads on that. And I've never used it for anything. I've built it and never used it. Because I know when I watch your videos and you've got a train rolling past, like with some of the guests you've had on there, it just it just seems like it goes on forever. But I know that it's just a finite number of dominoes you've set up for the shoot, but the illusion that you create with the video portion is it's just mind-boggling to me. No, that's cool, man. It's that's the fun of it. It's a little mini Hollywood, really. I yeah, that is great. Now, how long have you been doing all this? Mm, I've been doing it my whole life. I grew up in this house, so when I was 13 years old, I was literally working in the same corner of the basement where I've had seven or eight different layouts. Now, granted, I, I moved out like we all do when we grow up. You get out of school, you move out. But I was lucky in that I grew up with my grandparents, and they left a little bit of a trust for me. And I went to that trust department, and I told them, I said, hey, I don't want your cash, but that piece of property out there on the bluff, I have a serious interest in that. So I worked out a deal where I was able to purchase the piece of property out of the trust. And my, my, my full inclination was to gut this house either gut it or tear it down. I knew I could sell the lot for, you know, a good price. But if, if I did a rehab, I, I don't know what I was going to do. I was going to make a speculative real estate move on this deal because at the time, that's all I did was bought and sold houses for a living. I did that for 15 years, and I was on okay. the street all day long looking for the next opportunity. And this one just happened to come from my family. So in 94, we moved in, me and my wife, and all of a sudden, she started liking it here. And it was like, well, maybe we're not going to speculate the house. Maybe we'll just have some kids and live here. And that's how it turned out. Okay. I know you overlooked the Mississippi. So are you in the northern part of the St. Louis metro, southern, I'm just I'm trying to get a feeling. I'm 18 miles south of the arch, so you can see the arch on the 4th of July from my neighbor's hill, so we like to okay. watch those fireworks. Okay. 
So, yeah, I'm way due south here, uh, right at the border of St. Louis County, where Jefferson County takes over. So I'm in the woods, really, but I'm still five minutes from the store, which is kind of cool. All right. Jimmy, you're off. You're awful silent up in New England. Did you? I'm I'm merely listening. (laughs) I am. I'm I'm merely listening. Okay. so. Hey Ken, let, let's talk a little bit about the Midwest Modu Track. How did that get started, and how long did you go with that? Midwest Modu Track Group was a group out of Chicago. Uh, don't make me forget the names. I just did. I blanked out the on the brothers that had that layout up in Chicago. And it was the Cossack Modu- Boys. The Cossack Brothers. God, I love those gentlemen. The first time I met them, I was I couldn't have been more than I don't know. 20 years old, maybe. And I, I walked into a Santa Fe prototype modelers meetup in Chicago. And when I saw his passenger cars, I recognized him from a mainline modeler article. And I was like, holy cow, man, I got a star. This, this guy's a star, man. And at the time, I loved Santa Fe, so he's modeling what I modeled. And then I checked out their modular layout. And I was, took some pictures of it. And what blew me away was the continuity of it. It flowed. It was it was farmland. It was uh, Illinois-type scenery. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a coal mine here and a three-ring circus from Prazier with all the Ferris wheels there. It was literally Amen. a prototype prototypical uh circle of track uh that was just you know 35 or 40 feet long and you know they had their standards of like 36 inch radiuses and six inch blocks of wood for lift out between the modules and at the time i mean i'd already been kicked out of two train clubs here in st louis and i was looking to do something to set my own mark because i got tired of the politics of train clubs i all i wanted to do was focus on modeling i didn't care about who was president or any of that other nonsense that comes with these train clubs i wanted to model and because of my veracity and my high intensity it was very easy for me to offend individuals i had no problem doing that so i just said screw it you got to start your own club and run it your way so after seeing that modutrek layout up in chicago i decided to start the midwest family modelers here in st louis and my first mistake was I copied their layout exactly. I mean, the first time we set up for a train show, they they were at the show, and there was almost a fist fight literally break out at the show between me and another one of their gentlemen that was in the club because he was so pissed off that I literally copied their layout. And instead of them being a form of flattery, so at that point I did a major rehab on it, made major changes to it, so it wouldn't reflect their layout so much, but it reflected more of the talents and ideas that I had where I made a huge city instead of 35-inch rate. I went up to 48 inch radiuses. Um, I didn't have blocks of wood for lift out. I used three inch sections of rail. There were all kinds of improvements where you could study their layout, make improvements and changes on a new sister layout that didn't look exactly like theirs, but still had the basic layout and the flow of scenery that they had on theirs. And we did 30 or 50 train shows with that layout. Um, I did a ton of photographs and ads on it, and it was a lot of fun. But the problem was I was moving from real estate space to real estate space, empty storefronts and things like that with all the buildings I either had or friends had. And it was getting old. It was getting old. So eventually when I moved in the house out here in the bluff, I fit the layout down here in the basement. Well, now you got the guys coming over every week, and you can't really pick and choose who's coming over because it's a club. And, you know, it was a little bit of an invasion. And then once I got Bachman as an account uh, and I started getting pre-production models, and I started building courtroom models that couldn't be seen. I had to get rid of the train club. So I found a guy, sold him the layout for about twelve or $14,000, figuring he'd set it up in a nice mansion somewhere. And that's when I started having room down here to build my own home layout and develop my photography business in the industry. So, I mean, I'm still going back. This was 14 years ago that this all happened. 
but it was a breath of fresh air to finally actually get rid of the club. It was a stepping stone. It was a way to an, a means to an end, and it was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. I loved it, and I loved all the friends and people I met. But you, you can't babysit a layout 40 hours a week and it not get old. Mm, yeah. Okay. So now I'm curious, how would you classify yourself uh, professionally as a photographer? I'm a model builder, photographer, videographer. Okay. I'm that person my grandpa always told me that you shouldn't be. He said, you don't want to be a jack of all trades, Kenny. He told me a lot of good things. One time, you know, he, he, Grandpa, boy, let me tell you what, he was, a, he was a real picnic to grow up with that guy. Um, Kenny, you couldn't pour piss out of a boot with the directions on the heel. And then if you, if you, if you listened to what he said and you laughed, you got smacked. So, you know, you, you had to hold your breath and, and break out laughing after he left the room. It's like, what did he just say? <laughs> I like that analogy. I'm going to have to remember that. I didn't like it. I don't think he was being friendly when he said it, but, um, you know, it all worked out. <laughs> okay. How did, how did I get on that subject? Gee whiz. I, I don't know. We weren't talking about shoes or boots, but it just came up. I like it. I like it. Uh, you know, due to the, uh, the, the screw up on my end from last time, uh, did you, do you go to any of the shows, Ken? I haven't been to a show in a while. I, okay. the, prob- the problem at shows is you walk five feet. And you make it five feet, and there's a conversation, and you make another three feet, and there's a conversation. I can't go through a train show and get through it. I can't look at anything on the tables. Everybody wants to talk to you. Okay. So I just kind of just don't go, and I'm low-key. I just don't show up that much. I mean, I'm going to the St. Louis Prototype Modelers meet. Nobody bothers me there. It's kind of nice. It's almost like I'm not there. I do my interviews. I do my photography, and I really enjoy that show uh, that they have in Collinsville. Um, You know what? You got me thinking about something, though. Um, this I've had what? How many accounts have I had? I've had so many. I've worked for everybody in the industry at one time or another. You know, Atlas, and I've had Bachman for probably 20, almost 20 years now. But the one thing, this one account I've got, I, I've, I tell you what, I cold called for, I cold called for five years to get Athern, and I sort of semi picked that account up about a year and a half ago, and then it became you know a, a real account. I want to say maybe eight nine months ago, and. There's, we've seen John Allen stuff. We've seen the Varney ads. We know we've got a history in the magazine press of what all the advertising's been like in the industry, and and the stuff that I used to do for Atlas, where they gave me free reign to do whatever you want, and some of the Wathers covers. Don't get those are there's some pretty powerful photography there, but there's an element in the industry now that we've never had before, and that's where where I'm working with a manufacturer. A, of models that I can go out and look at every day, understand and follow the prototypes. That's easy. All the information's there to get great shots. But B, I'm working with a co-partner there, this Chris Palomares. You, Chris. and Who, me? And what, we've, what, I, what I see here, unlike any account I've ever had or any account I've ever witnessed in the model press, is a collaboration between two individuals that have got skills. I'm able to do the photography and the rough stuff. And then Chris drops the stuff into Photoshop and does magic to it. And I mean, holy cow, guys, you are going to, as long as I'm living, you are going to see some photography in the next 12 to 14 months in the industry that is just going to knock your socks off. You're going to know it's a model, but you're going to look at it and appreciate the effort that's gone into to make that model look as good as it does. 
you're going to see some of the best serving suggestions that you've seen in the industry. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying go to the grocery store. In the frozen food aisle, their sales are based on the quality of what's on that box, the picture of what's on that box. You open it up, you dump out a bunch of ice cubes on the table. That doesn't look like the picture. But the fact is, if we create a serving suggestion that's as real and has the credibility and deserves the respect that I think these photos coming out are going to do with this collaboration between Chris and myself, I'm real. I, there's no such thing as no. I don't think there's anything we can't do. We can model Tehachapi. We can do Cajon Pass. We can do any part of the country and nail it. Well, that's interesting. I like, I like the psychological tie-in you've brought in. Chris, it occurs to me that based on what Ken just said, uh, maybe some uh, beauty shots, if you will, or reprints of some of these ads as like a collateral piece for the retail stores? Well, you know, actually what, what I wanted to put together is that as we get more shots of like this, uh, you know, finished and come to come some sort of completion is also put together a calendar, you know, of just, uh, just some of these amazing shots that Ken and I have been working with. Uh, uh, I, I, I think one of the things that we lose sight is just model builders. It's just good ph photographic composition, you know, uh, different famous photographers that I, I really think just nail it in like trains magazine. Why reinvent the wheel? I mean, these guys uh, have got the, the sense of composition. Let's just translate that over to model form and let the composition kind of push it across the envelope. It's like, wow, this is as real as it gets, you know? So, yeah, as far as, like, the retail side, yeah, we're looking into doing some more stuff. Cool. And, I mean, you could even take Ken's thought there a uh, another step, and you bring, like, a Gary Christensen into it. Hey, Gary, take this uh, 70M-2 or whatever, and let's make it look like it's uh, been down the pike with weathering, then we'll have Ken photograph it. I mean, talk about a collaborative effort. Well, yeah, I mean, we're really opening up a whole new paradigm for model photography. Yeah. Um, it isn't anything that I, I feel that we're discovering. It's just sort of like it's kind of just happening. Um, if you look at, like, forums like the Weathering Forum and, you know, um, the Rust Bucket and things like that. Yes these guys are already doing it um, as far as like using some sort of graphic arts um, background that I've, that I've gained over the years. It's, it's sort of like, well, th this is great. We can actually achieve realism with these models, but let's, let's go to the next step. Let's put these models in action shots. Mm -hmm. Let's make them, you know, let's put some weather around them. Let's, let's make it really hard to discern that this is a model, you know, other than just saying, yes, these are models and here's the part number, you know? So. Right. Like the DD 40, uh, X shot. The yeah. Board that, motion shot is incredible. That, that was a, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was fun. Cause it was our first one. That yeah, was, the first, that was the first one where we actually pulled out some horsepower we pulled out the magic wand, and we actually tried something. I mean, from the ground up, you had to build the scene from scratch with the design of the shot in mind. 
Uh, you know, it's again, I like to just go up in the garage and grab a diorama, but I couldn't do it for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it came out well, though. Golly, it was great. Well, and you we, know, the nice thing like, about it is we're, we're taking that same approach and like putting on the big boy. And now, now we're thinking about other, other related shots. And I, I think Ken is kind of using that, that diorama in other ways too, beyond just its original intention. We just so. shot the big boy with the wheel spinning, and that was in last month's, uh, that was in February's What's Neat This Week video over at Model Railroad Hobbyist Magazine. You actually get to watch it. There's no still photography, I don't think, in the magazine. And bummer this month, there's also no still photography in the March issue of the snow thrower shot that we just used using the oh. Santa rotary plow. The still pictures aren't in, but the in the video this month, the March video, uh, What's Neat This Week, uh, there is the video coverage of me doing a snow blowing shot where I mean to tell you what, after we had the cotton strung up on a wire, I felt very comfortable with the fact that we could take that and Photoshop it. And then I gave it to Chris and I mean, he pulled, he put on his, uh, his magic. I mean, he's got a saucer's hat over there in champagne <laughs> with stars and a moon on it. And he's got that black cape. And he stands there with that wand. And I mean to tell you what, that snow thrower is sweating. It's throwing snow. And it looks so magnificent. Good job, Chris. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, the, when I was working for a surf magazine, um, I'd get a surfer come in and he'd be like, okay, here's my shot. And he'd look at me and just say, give it the awesome filter, Chris, in Photoshop. <laughs> so... <laughs> Now, is this snowblower shot the one I see at Atherin.com? Yeah, yeah. The slideshow? Yes, it's on their Facebook page, probably, and it's at Atherin.com. It's also on Ken Patterson's Facebook page. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I've seen that shot. Very, very impressive. Saw that today looking at uh, what I could order into the store from uh, Atherin. I wish I had Well, it's also very timely, too. I mean, considering how much snow we got here yeah. this past weekend, you know, it's like, yeah, hey, we need a real one just to get out of the just to get to work, you know? <laughs> yeah, man, I put a, I put a picture of me on the snow plow with my, with little Anna on my lap and we were plowing our seven inches of snow and I proclaimed on Facebook, it's so beautiful. And Mike Rose, let me have it. Man. I was going to say the people of Boston <laughs> probably took issue. It was funny. He's like, I did not appreciate that. <laughs> it's like that star Wars quote. And I thought they smelled bad on the outside when you're in hot, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, Jim. Uh, do you have too much snow up there? Lincoln, you awake? I bet Harrison is squeaking right now. Could be, could be. All right, we'll get back to, to Jimmy on that. It may have been time for his meds. Who knows? What? 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 No, I had a I had a small dog that was asking me to go out so well okay so do you think you've got too much snow up there uh no yes of course i do <laughs> do you do you do you think it's beautiful <laughs> um well yes yes i do as a matter of oh. fact i i really think that train photographs in the snow are some of the best you'll ever get However, getting to the trains to get the pictures in the snow is kind of a pain. So, um, And then, you know, when I've had to go to work 
to go work on the trains. I don't know, I, if it, if there's a blizzard, I just don't go to work. Sorry. Well, who runs the trains? Other people who live closer to Boston. The the guys lower in seniority runs the trains. <laughs> I mean, or, or I mean, the railroads given you know given money out hand over fist. They're just dying for people to come in because you know um, the, of all the problems they're having. But you know, I, as I told one of the crew callers, I said, uh, you know, I have no problem with going into work and working. I don't. Well, I have no problem working in the snow. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to die on my way there. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Because it's a 38-mile drive. It's not like if I was going to work in Franklin, which is three and a half miles away, I would probably go to work. But having to drive to Boston, no, I'm not doing it. Um, and then Sunday, I didn't go to work. It wasn't that much snow, but the last time I worked on a Sunday and there was a snowstorm, I ended up stuck in Worcester all night until the following morning. So – I wasn't interested because I had things to do Monday morning. You know, when I was in Springfield, speaking of Worcester, mm-hmm. I, I got educated by all the Bostonians there. It's not Worcestershire, it's <laughs> Worcester. It's Worcester. <laughs> Worcester. It's, it's W-O-O-S-T-E-R, Worcester. Yeah, I get it now. Not W-R, not W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. Whatever, they, whatever. They. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. So. Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire. Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And there used to be a plant in um, in Worcester that made Pullman cars. Really? No yep. sauce? No sauce, just Pullman cars, yes. How long ago was that? Um... I'm not entirely sure. Uh, uh, I'm 40s or 50s or something like that. Um, the only reason I know about it, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it uh, except Scott Mason. On his day job now, he um, went to this place on a contract, to, you know, to work on a to work on a contract, and the building was. You know, he saw cars going into it when he talked to the guy. He says, oh, yeah, this used to be Pullman. Oh, I mean, just like um, Mike Rose was working over in the Alco plant in Providence, Massachusetts. There was an American Locomotive Work uh, factory in Providence, Rhode Island. Sorry, Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, Any idea what they made there? Automobiles. Yes, Alco, American Locomotive Company, actually made, at one time, automobiles. Uh, There's only two of them in existence. Still in existence. Two of them still in existence. Well, it just begs the question, were they steam-powered? I have no idea. Like a Stanley steamer? I have no idea. Okay. But apparently they never made locomotives there, only automobiles. It used to be a locomotive, but it was before it was Alco. It was something else. I don't remember, but before it was Alco, it was a, it was a locomotive builder, and then when Alco took the building over, they made automobiles for a short time there. Totally, totally useless information that has nothing to do with anything to do with Ken <laughs> Patterson. 
Okay, but you said but Scotty again, Mason, and I and I love that guy. Scotty Mason just—he's just so full of enthusiasm that if I had a big company, I'd want to hire that guy. He's—he's he's awesome. But I don't have a big company, so <sighs> it becomes wishful thinking, Ken. Look, he's the one that got me to do DVDs. I'd listen to that podcast, and him and Dave Frere would carry on about all their projects they're working on. I got a new DVD coming out on blah blah blah, and I'm like, you know, I need, yeah. to do, I need, I want to do this. I want to do this. So it's yeah. it's his fault. It's I give him the credit to getting me off my duff and making me do it. And I said that I said that I interview him in the April. What's neat this week? I do a 15 minute interview with Scott Mason, and it came out really nice. And I told him that man, he, he knows, he knows. <laughs> well, see, oh, that's uh, an interesting aspect. There is maybe we need a Ken, uh, a video of how you create the dominoes, the dioramas, and like, for instance, if you were to have done, recorded how you did the, the DD-40, you know, concept, meetings, putting it together, executing, and then the photography. I think that would be an interesting video in your, you know, on the magazine or even maybe a standalone DVD. Check out January's uh, What's Neat This Week video. Um, you'll find in there a comprehensive coverage of the DD-40 shot where it was from inception to conclusion where we were actually think tanking the idea, trying to figure it out in front of the computer, kind of coming up with the concept live. And then I show exactly the scenery process and the building process that went into it. We show all the secrets in that one, and that one's free. You can get that one on Joe Fugate's uh, what's, uh, Model Road Hobbyist uh, magazine. The, the videos on my website you got to pay for. I've got one free download that explains all the videos and it shows clips of all the videos and what's in them but so far so good uh the website's turning into a third job a third income right now oh because uh, another the, video, that. The, the videos are selling like hotcakes there's i'm selling two to three videos a day right now the new one is on the blackstone layout uh that's a two hour 12 minute video on how i built an arrow gauge layout that ended up uh being worth uh it turned out turned out to be a ten thousand dollar layout and a nice gentleman down in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, has it in his family room right now. And nice. the whole layout's construction is covered in this two-and-a-half-hour-long video. It's high definition, divided up into four segments for twenty nine ninety five on my website, uh, KenPatterson.com. Cool. Oh, I, got that, I got the plug in. Thank you. You did. Shameless <laughs> plug, the plug, courtesy of. And having, if, if anyone listened to A Modeler's Life, they would know that there's a there's a preacher down south somewhere that wants that website name. Yes, there is. Give it to them. Ken Ken Patterson has a church. He has a church down somewhere in the south, and he wants KenPatterson.com. He's been asking for it for 15 years. And I can't sell it. According to the guidelines, I'm not allowed to sell it. But, uh, well, I tell you what, if it's a real estate deal, it'd be done already. <laughs> uh. Change your address. <laughs> X amount of dollars. <laughs> You can, too, at KenPatterson.com. Yeah, well, uh, no, it's, it, it, it was fun working with um, Scotty. I, I'm the talent on his last video. So, it was fun which, doing that. What, what video would tell me about that? It's the track laying video, This his newest one. Fast Tracks? Fast Tracks, yeah. Are you the guy that owns Fast Tracks? No, I'm not the guy that owns Fast Tracks. I just, no. Are you, oh, Tim, you're Jim Lincoln. Tim, you're I'm you're Jim, Jim Lincoln. Lincoln. Oh, I feature you in next month's video. I got video footage of you doing track. 
What? Yeah. Yeah, baby. During that during that interview, Scotty (laughs) Mason, Scotty Mason made reference to you. You did a good job in that video. Very professional, very easy to understand. I bought a couple of Scotty Mason's DVDs. I sat them down here on the TV and I I took video clips out of them in order Uh. to correspond what scotty was talking about during the interview so you didn't have to sit there for 15 minutes and just look at scott talk i dropped in a bunch of clips so i went on fast tracks website and i found a really cool video that they've got showing their track going together and it came out to be about 35 or 40 seconds long which is exactly the amount of time that scotty talked about it far for the soundbite so i was able to work in the fast tracks video that they've got from 2010 and I worked it into the video while Scott's talking. And I mean to tell you, it makes it makes the What's Neat This Week video rich because there's a lot of material to break it up. So it's interesting to watch. Oh, cool. So, yeah, good job, Jim, Jim Lincoln. I had no idea who I was even talking to. I'm sorry. No, no it's okay. It's no, okay. I have total admiration and respect for your work. Oh, well, that, that's all right. It's just thank you. That's just, you know, in, it, he uh, – in, in a lot of ways, it, you know, they kept telling me, you know, you have to dumb this down a little bit. You can't add the detail in. He says the problem with being an expert, you know what you want to explain, but you don't have the time to do it. This is only an hour and a half DVD, and that's pushing it. And so, but thank you very much. Yeah, you're in next month's video, man. You look good too in that shirt. Thanks. There's a there. There's a little bit of continuity. There's a if you re- look at it really careful, you can see a continuity issue in the video. I didn't look at because I have I have not in fact watched the whole thing. I was there. Why would I watch it? <laughs> um, but uh, I wear the same shirt, but I forgot to shave the second day. And I was like, and and I uh, I kind of like get five o'clock shadow pretty. Nobody said anything, so. That's no that's no easy task putting the, putting that material together. It's uh oh what what happened? You you, you you got buzzed out there right after. No, I, was, I was I was just saying that material that you did, Jim Lincoln, in that video. It's not easy material to do. It I had to have taken at least two days to do that stuff. Oh yeah, no, that was that was two days. Um, you know, because he was doing stuff, I'm doing stuff. It was a little hard because we didn't get all the materials to do all of the the turnouts until like the week before. And I don't have all the stuff hanging around because I don't do HO scale anymore. So I didn't have all the parts to do it. And so it ended up being like a mad dash at the end to get all the stuff pre-built so that we could just actually get this thing accomplished. And I had enough time to start building a second custom crossover uh, crossing. So... You know, that was what you could see. Okay, this is the steps that you take to 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 build something in place. Uh, you know, a custom. You know, you can take the skills you learn from the tools that you buy and take it up a notch. That was kind of, and it was kind of funny. I thought it was kind of funny because the, the the last line of the video that I say. I kept telling him, you know, we need to say that you can do this and this and this. Well, yeah, but you can't say that because blah, 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 blah. And then I said that line, and they said that nails the whole thing perfectly. And it was totally unrehearsed. It was a one shot. I couldn't tell you what that line was again if my life paid, if my life depended on it. But I know it was good at the time. That whole thing was 
Thank you very much. No, it came out good, man. It's a nice video, very professionally done. If you ever need some talent, Kim. Dude, man, just come on out to my studio and let's 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 do this. That's the thing. I got no traveling budget. I mean, I, I appreciate Fugate. He's the best to work for. I really, really am enjoying working with him. But I don't have any budget. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm making this work myself. These videos. I'm running out of ideas too. I keep running out of ideas. Right. I, I'm supposed to be four months ahead. Right now, I'm two months ahead. I just finished May, and I don't even have the text done for May yet. I should be sitting down typing until 4 a.m. Well, you know what? We can always do a Kickstarter to have a Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast infiltrate your home and then do a barbecue or something yeah let's do a live podcast we'll bring sarah in <laughs> she's got uh, good success at kickstarter yeah yeah exactly yeah right now it's it would be interesting if i could ever you know the the proto 48 track that i do yes and that was one of the things that that tim warris actually told scott mason when scott mason told him he wanted me to do the video Scott Mason told Tim Morris when he was pitching, you know, can you help me produce this thing? When he was pitching it, he said, you know, I'd like to have Jim Lincoln do it. And he was like, um, okay, but you need to tell Jim to take it down a notch <laughs> because I don't want to scare people away. Because As far as like modeling or something? Well, the, the, or to the levels, the, the, no, to the level that I take track. I treat track as much of a model. I like to I like to treat track that as much of a model as say you do sd SD40T dash two. Yeah, baby, you need to meet Dave Davis. You guys are yeah, you got a feather man because dude, <laughs> he was insane. Every single bolt on every switch and every holder on the rail. I didn't even know a turnout had that many parts. He's pulling oh, yeah. out the parts catalog for the manufacturer, yeah. and then he's sitting at home and making little castings and all this stuff. And he's like, "Look, Ken, watch. I'm gonna roll the train down the track, and you watch the box car start shifting back and forth from side to side." And oh man, baby, <laughs> so I, you. Yeah, the passion for what you do is definitely there. It's a fun thing to do. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. many people overlook their track. I'm guilty. I mean, well, joint you're bars, trying to, you know. You know, you're trying to get something accomplished. And I gave a clinic about track as a model, too, and I know other people have done it. The point that I tried to get to everybody, you know, people say – this is one of the things I, I – I pointed out in the in the TV, uh, not the DVD, no, in the clinic, is how many people here say like to use the three foot rule? Raise their hand, and nobody did. I'm like, come on, I know you all do, so just do it. It's not like I'm going to do anything to you. It says, okay, so how far away is three feet in HO scale? And they're like, well, you know, obviously it's 240 feet. Okay, let's look at some prototype pictures. From 200 and 200 feet away, can you see the joint bars? Yes, you can. And so my point was, the reason why you sit there and tell me, oh, you can't see the detail. You know why you say that? It makes you feel better because you don't want to put it there. Because you can see the detail if you put it there. Even at three feet away, you can see it. Now, if you have horrible eyesight... Perhaps not, <laughs> but but if you look at a photograph from two to 300, 500 feet away, you can see the joint bars from that distance. 
it's like the older I get, the better my models keep looking because I can't see them anymore. That's right. <laughs> it's like, it's like, do you really want to spend another thousand dollars on a brass engine? You can't see or, or maybe I should go get some eye surgery or something, you know? Yeah, it's called glasses. I examine glasses. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, and, and what I try to say is, you know, take, take a, take a small piece, take a signature scene and do it up to the nines. Don't do your whole layout that way. You'll go crazy. And I'll admit that first, firsthand, you'll go crazy. But take a small little scene. And I, 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 I pointed out this one thing in, in uh, Walpole Yard. Um, you can see where a turnout was. And instead of keeping the straight route, they kept the curved route for some strange reason. I don't know why. But they left all the ties in. They left the rail braces where the, the points were. So the, there's a lot of turnout parts that are still on this curved piece of track. I said, take something like that and put it into your layout. Just this little scene. You know, all it has to be is two or three feet. You know, it's not a big deal. And then detail that way up so that it's right in the front of the layout. That's what people see. Don't do the whole, you know, don't do the whole thing. But, you know, treat a section of your railroad as if the track is a model. You look at it. You know, people spend so much time working on their trains and stuff. And go to the railroad tracks. How often is the train there? And yet, what are you looking at constantly? You're looking at the track. Man, okay. Far... You've, you've beat me enough already, man. God, now i got to go back and look at all my track. Oh. No, now you got to put joint bars on all that narrow gauge man. rail you just laid there, Ken. Well, the good, the good thing uh, well, about narrow joint gauge. Joint bars are good, though. That's nice. Those A-line ones yeah. are nice. Yeah, the, the good thing about narrow gauge, no tie plates most of the time. Most of the time, most of the time you don't have to worry about tie plates. I'm just worried about them staying on the track, man. There you go. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the world of Proto 48. Yeah, you get mass working on your side there. Now, I just did a segment in the maze, uh, What's Neat This Week, coming up on turnouts and live frogs and dead frogs. And I like live frogs. I would rather make notches and put jumper wires on my turnouts. And if you don't mind those ugly plastic rail joiners, sure, you can use those too, but I don't go that route. As opposed to these turnouts where my little bitty engines stall on those big three-inch frogs on, you know, number 10 uh, Shinohara 83s with those dead frogs. I don't like them. Hmm. Or you could put a keep alive, or you can okay. put a keep alive in the decoder. Keep alive or frog juicer. Oh yeah, yeah. I got that in some of these narrow gauge engines. That's pretty cool. But uh, you can use frog juicers to juice your frogs. But you know, doggone it, it's so simple to just have hot frogs, hot rail, and make a couple of notches, and they're just as DCC friendly as ever. Even the three rail turnouts are. Did you oh. have to go back and uh, retool manually any turnouts, Ken, when you put down your narrow gauge? Last night, while I was re-uploading the two-and-a-half-hour video on my website, because it wasn't high-definition, I got a bunch of email complaints. So I got high-definition. <laughs> it took me seven hours last night to upload that. So in between the hour and 23-minute upload periods of time, I followed a couple of narrow-gauge engines, a few of them engine at a time, one at a time, around the layout. And I had to go through all these Shinohara three-rail turnouts and file them because they're made pretty good to some pretty good tolerances, but I've got to have them perfect for this stuff to get through them. So you run a little bitty real narrow diamond file through all of the flange ways, and you find out there's chunks of plastic in there from the molding process that doesn't belong there, and that's what the the problems are. After I ran a file through all 14 of these turnouts last night, um, dude, I've, I've been running a train since 8 o'clock this morning, and she hasn't stopped yet. 
I went to the post office. I came back. No derailments, no shorts. I'm very satisfied right now with the performance of the layout. It took about 24 hours to work seven different bugs out of the track work on 157 feet of track. Amazing. I spent the last four four weeks doing it, 16 hours a day. Um, I was able to get a quarter of the layout done a week. And it was working full-time. It, it's my job, so I, I work it full-time. Uh, in between all the account work, and right now this week I didn't have any, except for this Atherin display, which I'm throwing together, which is coming out cool. But I was able to work on this layout for four weeks straight, and I'll tell you what, I don't know where the time went. Blink, and it's gone. Hey, but you have a operational layout again with narrow. I do. Do combination HO scale and then HON30 in various parts, and it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of passing sightings. There's tons of potential operation here, and I'm not into operating. I model for the run-by effect. I model as if you're a rail fan looking at various locations in the country and wanting to see a train go through them. Cue cards, card lists, time Come on, man, that's work. I don't want to work. I want to play trains. Herein lies the reason why you should add more detail to your track. You're <laughs> kind whipping boy, baby. <laughs> this is where the organ music starts to play. Where's my harmonica? Gee whiz. Uh, uh, no. I hear the Benny Hill theme song coming on, Ken. We're all be taking down. Hey, I'll preach the word, man. Well, you know, I still say we get Dave Davis and Jim Lincoln together and just put together the longest stretch of highly detailed tracks so we can run a hundred car train over it i would just like to watch those two get together i would just like to sit back and listen to him talk for 10 minutes that would be really interesting yeah he does he does castings i draw stuff in SolidWorks and and um i do 3d modeling the stuff so nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, guys, you are a different caliber caliber of modeler than I am. I'm, I'm intimidated right now, so that's why that's <laughs> why I'm, I, I, that's I why I'm really fighting want. back. My insecurity is coming out. I'm lashing oh, out. Oh, please! <laughs> you're you're a far better modeler than I am. I'm, I'm happy I'm not derailing right now tonight. It's just running smooth. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I just uh, posted uh, three photos of <laughs> the um, the roller bearing truck. Yeah. In the, in the chat. Oh, it's in the chat. It's in the, the instant messaging, yes. Gotcha. I thought you put them up on Dropbox. There, there are three Dropbox links, yes. I haven't, I haven't posted them over to um, the Facebook site yet. So these, these trucks actually have spinning roller bearing caps? Um, not yet. They will. Not yet, but, but they will. Uh, that, they will, that's... yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... Most most modern, uh, but those silver things you see in the photograph. Yeah, around the axle. Around that's a roller bearing. Oh, so it's a real roller bearing. That's a real miniature roller bearing. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. Well, be sure to put those on Facebook because that's that's interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, I just I when I sent those trucks out to be printed, I didn't. Um, I didn't think of doing the bearing caps. Ah. I've sent, I have since done them because this whole thing is like I do a little work and then I send it out to get printed and I test it. These are um, quite good. They're 
fairly close copies of the Atlas truck with little differences, but yeah, well, especially the biggest one is the the side of the side frames is pretty close to the the rim of the wheel, more mm-hmm. yeah, much closer than you know a, a retrofit with a long axle, you know. Yeah, one of the parts that I've been making for or that I designed for quite some time is something that narrows the side frames anyway. Yes, uh, to, do, to do just that. Um, this just happens to be a step beyond that. Um, I'm also designing bolsters to mount on different cars um, so that you can actually mount these trucks onto them. So take a Lionel gondola, for instance. Take a Lionel gondola and put this more realistic-looking truck onto it. Gotcha. Um, and hopefully it will be the right height. So, so you want to do that in S-scale? Do I want to do that in S-scale? Why would I want to do that in S-scale? <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Getting you back uh, for the, the, the O-scale boxcar thing. See, but that's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> as to Why am I not surprised? Uh, <laughs> Unlike my but, idea, his was a good idea. <laughs> well, no, because, see, in, 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 in S-scale, believe it or not, these things exist. Oh, they I do? Can go buy, I can go buy a 100-ton roller-bearing truck in S-scale with scale wheels on it. Wow, I didn't realize You cannot that. do that. <laughs> you cannot do that in in old scale slash Peter Proto 48. I hear the um, Betty Hill song coming on again for me though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, and the, the Pullman standard 5344 boxcar. Yeah. Exists in S scale. Somebody's already done it in S scale. It's a beautiful model as a matter of fact. All right. But, so how, how long, how high are your flange weights in thousands of an inch? For your Proto 48 wheels, your flangeways, your little little flanges on the wheels, how how high are those? They got to be like forty thousands or something, or they would look so proto. You, I wish Fugate would give me some travel money because you would be a great guy to get a couple video cameras in your basement, and what a great segment! Oh, I got nothing. I have three feet of track. Five years on it. Yeah, probably. Well, Craig Biscayer, Craig's big, Craig Biscayer says you have the most beautiful three feet of track I've ever seen in my life. It is I love 21, Craig thousands. 21 Okay, thousands. wow, that is that is hardly that's that's code seventy rail divided into four sections. That is it's actually small. smaller than uh, the HO. Yeah, no, it's just... actually it's actually the same as the RP twenty five. The RP twenty five. Oh, okay. So it is the, HO scale flanges on O scale. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Mm. That's see, really so cool. Uh, we, I can visualize that, but I wish we could see the rest of the reel right now in the visual part of the podcast. Where's that button? What? Yeah, yeah. Wait, here, where's the I, awesome I want to see this. Where's Where's the awesome button on this podcast? <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? Oh, didn't you see the Didn't you see the pictures of the truck? Did you not see the? I, I don't think he knows. He, he saw the 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 chat um, links that you put up. Yeah, if you if you look in the instant message the chat, I posted three pictures or three links. Three yeah, links. three links to pictures. Yeah, and um, when I laid the track, when I laid the, the the three pieces of track, I mean when I laid the three feet of track, it's actually uh, jointed rail, so it's thirty nine foot sections of rail on tie plates. Um, some of the ties I you drill you drill a hole through the through the tie lengthwise so you can dig it out 
so it gets that rotted away look. And then you dig at it with a welding brush. Um, and, you know, you dig at it with a knife and then you go at it with a welding brush and then smaller brushes and, and stuff like that to wreck them. Yeah, I'm looking at them now. They look really good, man. Yeah, those wheels are those are proto, from Protocraft. That's has nothing to do with me, but I, I buy those. But it's the it's the side frames and the bolster and everything that I designed and printed. I mean, it's so cool what you can do now. So. Hey Ken, wasn't there something that you saw recently where it's like a a budget sort of 3D printing thing? From, the uh, latest thing now is, and I'm really glad I didn't go out and buy that Dremel machine. I was going to buy yeah, a Dremel, Dremel in November. I mean, I was gun. <laughs> I was so trigger happy on that. I was ready to order it right now. I want to order it right now, and I didn't do it. I watched a few videos on YouTube of the uh, fine and fidelity of it, and then yeah. I started reading the comments of it, and they're still working bugs out of it. I'd like to get somebody from Dremel here in my studio with one so that they can demo it for a video. Uh, give me some live demonstration material, Dremel. Where, where's your 800 number? Uh, because I think that would my the best highest rated video that I've got right now is the one on on the 3D printing that uh, uh, Mike Buddy had, and because 3D oh, yeah. printing is in the title of the video, that video is getting a lot of hits. So there's a ton of people interested in it, and I'm really glad I didn't buy that Dremel because the latest thing I've seen for under twenty five hundred dollars is not a machine that prints with with filament line. It's a machine that prints with literally inks, liquid. And it has a uh, infrared light built into it that sets the mm-hmm. material up instantly right. on each pass of the head. And so the fidelity, that the fineness of the detail is magnificent. Now you yeah, can go beyond shelf trinkets and start actually mm-hmm. making functional things at home instead of contracting it out to a professional. And this is a machine for under 2100. I, I don't know the name of it. But I think the ink method is the way to go now. It's not so much ink as it might be resins or something. I don't know what it is. It's, it's resin, and it's cured by ultraviolet light. Is that the one that's in, in like, a, a bath? Yes. Is it, it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's called Form 1. It's magnificent. Um, and that's and, the technology to go with now. Yeah, that's uh, stereolithography. Um, and uh, a friend of mine has one of those, and he – I drew – um, if you're familiar with them, the Berwick um, cars, the end of a, a Berwick box car, the 50 foot box car, like a yeah, the non terminating sort of boxy yeah. end sine wave, it's the yeah. sine wave, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a Pullman standard, but not. Um, I drew one of those and I sent him the box car end, and it is he he printed one, it's absolutely. Absolutely magnificent. It, there's almost no striations in it. It's he figured out how to do it. The problem is, uh, it took him 11 hours to print it because hmm. he he turned up the setting on you know the, the the fineness of it. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. And then the first one because he was going away for three or four days, so he wanted to get it in the mail to me quickly. He broke it in half. <laughs> He put oh. the thing in, it took 11 hours to print it. He broke it in half. <laughs> oh. So you have to do it again. Um, but, yeah, no, it's beautiful. Um, one, of, one of the most interesting courtroom models that I never got to build was the end of a Pullman Standard 89-foot boxcar. 
and some guy was grappling along on the end of it and fell off the handrail and got hurt or something. I'm not sure what happened. Um, but I sat here and I started staring at the pictures of the boxcar because I had to build this end of this boxcar in a scale so that it would be about two feet high, whatever scale that would come out to be. And I started studying the pictures and looking at them and looking at them. And sure enough, the handrails were cobbled together and welded, and they didn't quite match up. And that's probably why the guy got hurt. And I knew the lawyers knew that part. But I started studying the pictures, and I, st- I brought in a little bit of Ed Hawkins. You know, that you know Ed Hawkins here in town, he, he does those prototype cyclopedias. I mean, he, he, he sleeps at night and can count the rivets in his head on what's on a Pullman standard end of a car. <laughs> I mean, literally. I mean, there's, there's only, there's, there's only 2,500 pieces, and he knows the name of all of them. But the fact is, after I sat there for three days and just stared at those photographs, trying to figure out how he's going to build this model, I noticed that. I'm looking at my Atherton car, and I'm looking at my Wathers car. Wathers is Pullman Standard. Evans is the Atherton's car. And I started looking at the panels on the end of the freight car. And I said, look at, look at this. Pullman Standard panel times three, and the bottom panel is an Evans panel that was adapted to the Pullman Standard car, which is why the handrails don't match up, which is why the guy got hurt. And I went to the law firm, and I dropped this in their lap, and these lawyers didn't say a word. They didn't even say goodbye to me. They just all <laughs> scurried into their offices, man. Something just happened. And I, I, I went into him a week later. I said, look, how many hours did you guys spend with six lawyers working this case? And how many months did you not know what me as a modeler, because I do this every day, I noticed after just a few days of looking at it. Uh, you need to bring me in as a consultant. You need to pay me every single month a retainer and bring me in on some of these cases so maybe I can save you five months worth of paying your lawyers to work on something that I looked at and immediately knew it might be in your best interest to settle this. Uh, and you know what? That was a very powerful argument to make to the attorney. I told him, I said, nobody else is going to walk in your office and tell you this today. <laughs> well, yeah. Other than like Jim Eager, <laughs> it, it was a rude awakening to myself too to even comprehend that what I was looking at. It's like this has been modified, so there, therefore, theoretically, I guess it could be the railroad's fault. And who's suing who? You know, I don't know who was suing who, but I know it got settled. I know that. Dang. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're talking about, I'd like to get, I'd like to get a hold of him because I need, I need measurements of. What I've done. I have done 3D models of a couple of cars so that I could do them in O scale because somebody else doesn't want to do them. <laughs> Who would that Here's be? Paul Maris. Here's Paul Maris. <laughs> the look on his face was priceless when I mentioned it. Well, I'm surprised um, you didn't take a photo of that. Put it I, on I, I didn't have the cam- I didn't have the camera ready. Just a blank stare. Just, uh, I actually, I actually, uh, oh, geez. I, I, I think I might be vaguely success. I know somebody, I, well, my engineer is friends with somebody who's in R&D at Lionel, and uh, who knows? Maybe if I present the argument to him, you know, 
I remember about 10 years ago, you got to the trade show and all this paperwork for litigation was getting passed around. You know, when you go to the trade shows, you learn about everything that's going on immediately within probably the first 10 minutes of walking in the door. And sure enough, all these courtroom documents are floating around from booth to booth about the Lionel, MTH, somebody stole plans from somebody and somebody was getting sued in China. And I don't even know all that 15 years ago, that big kabobble that went on. But you saying that just reminded me of that, about how fast that word spreads. You know, the the, the dirty laundry of the manufacturers when you go to a, a trade show. You know, the general public goes up there to see trains. And, and when you're in the industry, it's kind of fun just to taste the water and see what's going on in the fish tank. Yeah, it's yeah, it's bizarre. It's like, you, you know, know, you know, I heard of a company. I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but there was a company that copied a structure and it wasn't an actual real structure. It was a a kind of imagineered structure by another company, but because it was a popular kit, this other company copied it. So when company a finds out that their, their cash cow got copied by another one, they take them to court and you know, Hey, you copied us, and uh, of course, you know, the company that did is just like, no, we didn't. This is just a regular house. And they go, no, it isn't, because it has these signature features to it, which is not part of any house. It's only part of our imagineered model. Oops. <laughs> you know. So there, there is some, there, there, there is a little bit of that going around. Occasionally, um, you know, the the industry is really a pretty happy-go-lucky playground where we all try to work together as different mostly. manufacturers, mostly. But uh, there, there are some isolated incidents uh, the, like the what you were wood, talking about. The dead wood only lasts about a year or two. I noticed that the guys that show up in this industry thinking that they're going to make a quick buck – you know, copying other, other people's ideas or just different things like that, or just go to the shows with attitudes. Uh, those people just seem to not last more than two years. And the ones that have been doing it for a long time are just a great, great group of people to learn a lot from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we all have a, a lot of learning to do. And the more we work together as, you know, to create more of a, I'd say a cohesive environment. I mean, as far as like the, the modeling culture is concerned, I, I think everybody benefits. One would think. One oh, would love, think. love and happiness. Ain't it great? <laughs> yeah. Except for the 5344 boxcar, no scale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, that'll be like, what? Yeah, there you go. Uh, I wish. <laughs> Uh, I own one. Um, uh, my, my point to Christopher merely was <laughs> no one else makes it. There's, there's one, you know, in, in HO, there's virtually every model of a 50 foot boxcar that exists virtually. If there's a, you know, if there's a rail box type boxcar, you have. You know, the Pullman standard version, you have, I mean, the, what is the 5277? You get the 5277. You have the ACF's car. You have the Seco car. You have the, you, you have all these different, um, versions of what is essentially the same thing. The per and, diem box car. Yeah. And in, in O, 
there is one. There's a, a particular version of an AC. I believe it's an ACF 50 foot boxcar. There's one, and both Weaver and Atlas make it. The Atlas is a nicer car than the Weaver. The Weaver, I think, is a 5077, and the uh, the Atlas is a 5277. Plate C versus so, plate B. Yeah, plate B versus plate C. So the 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 hole for you know because well you know O scalers don't really care so why are you going to make another one that basically looks the same fairly decent argument that's why i say the pullman standard 5344 looks sufficiently different than all those been than basically all the other 50 foot box cars that there is a something to be said for making the 5344 as opposed to say a berwick you know, you, you don't want to buy, you know, you don't necessarily want to do a Berwick because, okay, maybe that, you know, the the guys that really know will know that the ends are different. But, you know, the the vast majority of three scale, three rail O scalers don't give two hoots. Um, so that's, why go through the effort? I mean, that stuff is just, it just blows out the door. It's, I can't yeah. believe it's a huge – you know, it's a demographic that the manufacturers have got to pay attention to. And the question is how many of your boxcar will they make as and how soft is that market? And the Athrum, <laughs> by the way, doesn't make those. Here it comes. Wait for it. Well, you see, here was my point. I understand that, <laughs> I understand that Athrum doesn't make it. I, I understand that Athrum doesn't make it, and I was just trying to pitch. Chris, I, I know <laughs> you've been twisting his arm for ten minutes. Well, no, no. This, he said a bit at Springfield. It was more like a couple hours. This was at Springfield. I said, like, you know, you could enter into the market with a highly accurate model. Lionel is actually doing highly accurate O scale models and selling them to the three rail market. They're absolutely exquisite. Some of their newer ones and uh, their ACF, uh, their center flow. Uh, uh, popper is gorgeous. I have a uh, a 52 foot gondola that's really spot on. Um, uh, of course, they picked a very esoteric version of it because it will sell to more. It, it's it's a, it's a better seller because it has drop ends and in this particular gondola, only 27, I think or 30 of these gondolas were ever built with drop ends. And that's the one that they chose. Instead of the one that they made 5,000 of, they chose the one that sold. they made 30 of because it has drop ends and it's cool for the O-scaler. Okay, fine. Just means okay, I have Chris. To... All right, Chris. I, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist your arm. How about yeah, right. the old round? How about the old roundhouse dies? Can you dig those out and start making us some HON three stuff that won't interfere with the Blackstone soundtracks non compete contract? Oh, good please. I, I wish you could see the blank stare I'm giving you right now. That's because I just said something <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said. You can edit this out of the. Maybe I just spoke shop and I'm not allowed to talk about it. Did I just no, did I just no, go into no, ground? No, I'm not allowed no. to go to. No, no. Because I know you're, those. You're I know that's. I know that soft stuff is in a closet somewhere. Uh, you you can ask me any question. Doesn't mean that I gotta answer it. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, yeah. so all we I can't answer that. They, I I, I just can't answer dies. that. Because there's some pretty cool stuff in the old 1977 Wathers catalog I, I, that I'd like to see I, come I back. I completely again. agree. That there are some sweet roundhouse kits out there. Um, yes. 
I think some of my favorites were, I think it was like an origin where you could cut in half and make them short, you know, and, and there was also the, the notorious log cars, which had like a million and a half different uses, the skeleton log cars, you know? So yeah, there, there's a lot of really neat kits that were done by roundhouse that, you know, I, I could see having some potential value there. Unlike the old skill box car, which I understand. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Quite well, actually. (laughs) This is the intermission part of the podcast where we kind of regroup and come back with some pockets. <laughs> I was just, I just enjoyed pulling Chris's chain. Oh Lord, I didn't know it was going to be this much fun. This is cool. This is not one of those podcasts where you're under stress wondering what secret you're going to give up to hang yourself tomorrow morning. About. <laughs> this is, this is like family. You know, you listen to the, the radio. Oh, and there's a couple we're things to get off. To get, we're trying to get the good stuff out of Chris, but he won't. <laughs> What's good? Look at the snowplow picture he just did. Look at the big boy shot he just did. I mean, hello, that's as good as it gets, man. But but I mean, what Jim was just short is of like sleeping the, with the Pullman him, that's standard fifty three forty four in the snow. Oh, I can, picture I can that Ken Patterson takes. <laughs> I want to know. I, I, can I tell you something? I've stood next to those in the snow. I don't need. I don't need any photographs <laughs> of that in the snow. Yeah, it gives you too many the, bad flashbacks when, of like picking out the points of switches and stuff with a fusey. I bet. Uh, spending spending an hour and a half digging out a switch, can't get the switch, can't get the switch open, and then say, "Well, what are we gonna do? Let's call the train master." We call the train master, and the train master says, "Oh yeah, I've been trying to get a hold of you. We're gonna blow off all the customers today." <laughs> oh. It's like, uh, nice if you had told us, well, I w- you know, call the yard. The yard can get a hold of us. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, you need to go to Worcester. Okay, whatever. Not the sauce. Not the sauce. It's a very cool picture I took that day. But, um, yeah, there was a whole lot of uh, – it's amazing how little bit of snow can get in a switch and you can't use it. It's just mind-boggling. Between me and the conductor – we had no clue what was keeping the switch from throwing all the way to one side. Just, we had, you know, we swept the stupid thing for an hour and a half. And we could, between the two of us, we couldn't get it. There's, the gap has to be smaller than your pink. So if it won't throw, I mean, you can get, if you can get it so that it's like a, an eighth of an inch, that's fine. But if you, if you throw it and it's a, a half an inch gap, you can't. Can't do it. Nope. Mm. You can, I mean, if it's a, if it's a trailing point, you can do it. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Because you because as the car goes over it, it'll smash it into the side. So right. it that's fine. It's actually you know, if you could it's just throwing it the other way. And then yeah. you spend what ends up happening is and you spend all this time you know, digging the switch out, and then as soon as you you come back over it, you bury it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? <sighs> that, that, that's one part of model railroad operation I hope they never replicate. The old pick out the the sticky switch. Yeah. Although yeah, they, that's happened a couple times on a few layouts I've operated on. It's sort of like, why isn't the switch throwing? I threw it. What the heck's going on here? You know? That's something in the points. Yeah. And and you dig what and was, dig and dig. 
<laughs> what, was, what was really cool is one day I was working on a um, I was on I was on a um, flag job, so I was I was in around one of the signal maintainers, and they had a switch failure in the um, in the interlocking at CP22, which is the west side of Framingham Yard, uh, Framingham Station actually, and one of the turnouts in the crossover failed. And the guy had cover off of this power switch. So I, got, I was able to get pictures of the inside of a power switch. It's kind of cool with all the relays and everything in there. Hmm. And what the problem was, it was a cold day. So the switch heater was on. And the wind had blown a plastic water bottle into the point. <laughs> what? And the plastic water bottle had melted and got stuck between the point and the rail so that when it threw over it couldn't throw all the way. It was just a it was just a plastic water bottle. Yeah. See but, people, and, this is why you need to recycle. Yeah. 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 And then and but you know it was cool because he you know he showed how you he adjusts it. There's an adjustment mm-hmm. inside the switch and you know getting it to he was able to throw it manually but without having the dispatcher do it. And then he called the dispatcher and had the dispatcher throw the turnout back. It was kind of kind of interesting. Not something oh, you, you see every day. You you know how you and I were talking about the uh, the Rapido new uh, animated uh, switch yeah. mechanism. I started mm-hmm. thinking you could use that on Proto Forty Eight because you have the same flange weight clearances as HO scale, so you should be able to use that. Uh, okay, but you the the switch stand is not going to be the right height. Oh come on! You can three D print. <laughs> I got you there. What, what code rail do you use? Um, like, give me give me an example. Is it like HO scale code eighty three? No, it's code. I I've got code one twenty five and one thirty eight. Okay. Um, you can get code one hundred. You can use code one hundred, but you really need to get O scale code one hundred. Is there a difference in like the web or the foot of the rail yeah, or something? The web, okay. not the web. It's the head of the rail is different. Ah. I think macroengineering makes uh, no. Actually, they make code one hundred, but not O scale code one hundred. You have to get it from an, a Proto forty eight kind of company. It's an O scale company. By I think it's called Right Away sells it. Um, I mean, you can use HO scale code one hundred. It will work. It just the O scale code 100 looks better. So, ah, okay. That's all. So it has a heavier head or something like that. Yeah, it's just a heavier <clears throat> head. Yeah, but okay. I've also got code 125 and 138. Um, the code 138 is really heavier than anything I really need, but I'm I'm considering, you know, going down between 125 and 100. It just will look better. The car, you know, everything will look more massive on the rails. Man, guys, I'm sitting here running my layout DC today, all day long. Just regular old school. Oh, old school. I'm running the some brass engines. I've been running some brass engines I picked up on eBay about a month ago, and I just now it's nice for them to stretch out their legs and have a place to run. So. But yet, at the same time, in the back of my head, something I want to bring up is this supposed replacement for DCC that Bachman's coming out with, with this app for your handheld telephone, where you plug the system into your layout, you take your telephone, and it asks you 
first it tells you what engines you've got on the track, and it asks you which one do you want to run today. Uh, Blue rail. That's, that's far out, man. I mean, this is the, the ability to control a layout using your handheld phone with the electronics that they're able to tie into this now. There's nothing that you can't do. And there's, there is no wiring. There is simply a loop of track if that's all you've got in your, your phone in your hand. You don't even, I mean, guys, what is this? What is this? This is really something cool. And it's coming from left field. It's coming from nowhere. When Bachman mentioned this six months ago, it didn't even soak into my head what the parameters and the possibilities are with this until now. I put it on the cover of their catalog this year, and, and I, I want to feature it in my show, but I don't have an operating system here that I can use in the studio yet. Now, do they claim it's uh, NMRA compliant? I don't think the – I think okay. this is beyond the NMRA. This is beyond any – this is – there's no – there's no throttle or, or there's no reins on this horse. This is a, a stallion that just came from the field, and it came during a thunderstorm. And lo and behold, <laughs> it's it's you know, rock and roll, man. March is coming in like a lion this year, and I think that this it, when this system really hits the market, to be able to run your train with as long as they come up with a decent app where the throttle is responsive, as long as it all works cool. You know, I mean, it's a wireless system from God. Okay, but does it have a proprietary decoder that you have to have in the locomotive? Or does it interface with Digitrax yeah. or Tsunami well, or whomever? Uh, the, hey, Paul, it, the, from what I understand, it, the only hardware associated with this, there's no throttle, there's no command station, there's no wall ward or anything like that. It, all it is is pretty much a Bluetooth receiver that you plug into your locomotive and that's it. So you use like your Android or your iPhone and then you just sort of connect directly to your locomotive and run it without any sort of command station, without programming a million and a half like, you know, variables and stuff like that. So that that's their, that's their kind of angle on this is sort of like reduce amount of hardware that you need to get in order to get started running trains. What do they call it? Have they branded it yet? <laughs> yeah, Blue, oh, Blue Rail. Rail? Okay. Blue Rail, yeah. Okay, tie-in to Bluetooth, right? Okay. Yes. Roger very that. cool, from what I've seen. What's Looks the price very, point very on cool. something like this? Hold well, on, i got the catalog right here. I just got my 2000. Mr. Patterson has the inside I'll, scoop. I'll bet it's on the first page of the catalog, man. There's some good models in here this year. A breakthrough in train control, Bachman's easy app Bluetooth control from your Apple smart device. I don't have an Apple smart device. My cell phone's oh, got buttons no, on it. Oh, man. <laughs> Chris, do you know Whoa. that before we invited him on here? <laughs> I went into the cell phone store six months ago, and I walked in there. I said, I want a phone with buttons on it. So you they could really freak them out and go like, I want fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> I need the dial so I can control my train, you know. I need a real stat, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see a price in here, but I don't have my glasses on. There's got to be a price in here. I don't see a price. What, what what do the receivers go for? Does it oh, say price price to be announced? It says Ooh. in the catalog. Oh, yes. the suspense is killing me already. 
Yes, enjoy touchscreen control with the Easy App equipped Blue Lightning train set. Okay, <gasps> so they're gonna. This will be for the train set market. That's this means that the novice that gets into it cold turkey and doesn't know how to hook up a power pack wire A and B plus and minus. Dude, this is perfect for the general public. Yeah. Right. That's the point. I really yep. think. You know, if they want to be able to put together a bunch of people with train sets and be able to run them sort of independently, which is good. I mean, we we just need to kind of evolve the hobby a little bit, you know. It, most people are kind of are pretty comfortable with uh, using their their, you know, phone of smartphone of choice. So I'm I'm starting to feel old now. I'm running DC today, and I got a phone with buttons. Let me look around and see what other problems I have. Hey, do you have your PFM uh, sound control? Woo, <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that whistle? Oh my God, it was so cool when you saw it, though. Yeah, 19. What year are we talking about there? Holy cow! 70 something. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I remember going to the club. I remember going to a club when I was a kid, and they had like that sound system out there. I was like, "Wow!" You know. Well, Ken, that your brass that you're running around there on DC, what kind of power are those motors drawing? How many amps? Have you got a meter on it? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not showing any amperage at all. I'm running two. Old uh, West Side locomotives with cordless motors in them, and those things don't draw anything. So even it was really weird. Yesterday I was running the Blackstone models uh, around the layout for the first time because yesterday was the first time I actually got it to work all the way around. I just finished it, and they weren't on the DCC system. They weren't drawing anything. I was still showing zeros, and I had two of them running. And there's nothing hmm. wrong with it. there's nothing wrong with the system. It's just those things don't draw any current at all hardly. I really like those track keepers you were talking about um, earlier. No, they're not track current keepers. Might be the trademark mm-hmm. name that Soundtracks has yeah. on it. Yeah. Uh, two locomotives that I picked up uh, from Bob Helm uh, in HON3. These are precision scale locomotives, and they've got those keepers in them. And uh, I'll tell you where else those keepers were handy was all the demonstration box cars that I did with the sound car. I put those current oh, those. Yeah too so if i hit a dead spot or ran over one of my three inch frogs that are dead on this thing uh they didn't drop out during the videotaping so current keepers pretty hot and what's really cool another thing is it was really weird i was experimenting with my blocks to see if they worked the other day and the engine i forgot it's got a current keeper in it so i actually troubleshooted the whole damn thing before i actually realized the current keepers why the current was on for an additional 15 seconds it wasn't yes. my wiring but <laughs> I'll <laughs> get you every time. I went back over to wiring with continuity <laughs> tester and the voltage tester. I'm like, everything's perfect. What? What am I discovering this time that I've never discovered before? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I mean, after a while, this hobby just becomes process. It's nothing but a process. Every step between the laying the track, the soldering, the the joiners, the ground throws, the all the various blocking, it's all just a process. And it's the same repetitive process, layout after layout. So after a while, I build the layout, and then when I'm done, I look at the layout. I hadn't even seen it the whole time because I'm so busy doing the processes of just whipping it together, getting the thing built, done, overnight finished and it's like during the construction process you don't even really look at it you're just going through your job getting it done and then it's the day after that i really enjoy is when you can look at it 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a part of whenever I'm building a scene, you know, you get done with the wiring, you get done with, uh, um, you know, putting the track down and all this stuff, detailing, doing the scenery. It's sort of like I, I, I tend to ballast the track very last to kind of give it the look of, you know, the scenery came first and the track came later. Um, once you get to that ballasting stage, it's a pretty darn good feeling. Like, wow, I really accomplished this, you know. So, is this is this spray booth bothering the sound? I want I want to smoke a cigarette. And I just didn't want to. I didn't bad? hear anything. I, I could turn it off. I'll turn it off. No, I, I can assure you. Once my once my dogs decide that they want to get up and walk around, it'll make way more noise than that. <laughs> I want to talk about something else you guys discussed earlier, and that's when you were discussing the hobby and how well the hobby's been doing since October. Weirdest thing happened. I had to go get some Atlas N-scale rail joiners for my HO scale track here that I was laying this week. I ran out. I can't believe I went through all those rail joiners. Holy cow. And so I picked up some more. And when I was in there, the guy at the hobby shop actually came out of his way to explain to me how well business has been. He said beginning of November, end of October, things just took off. And and it has not stopped yet. He said, and then he brought up MTH and how much he likes those. And I've never heard a hobby shop in the last five years come up to me and just say business is great. And to hear yeah. that, I I knew we were going to have a good Christmas. I knew that was going to happen for the manufacturers. They were cutting in November, cutting, cutting, cutting. And I'm like, guys, slow down, man. It's going to get good here. And then we saw gas prices drop, and the stock market went past seventeen eight. And all of a sudden, I seen the purse strings start loosening up in America, and it's not just in the hobby. I mean, car sales right now are going to the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really I, I, reassuring and nice. Over at see, Athern too. I like so. the confidence level that I'm seeing, and it's only going to get better. You know, if it can, if we can just keep it steady all summer, next Christmas is going to be a great Christmas for the hobby. Now, one of the things that. Uh, you know, because this is tax time, so some of the early filers are getting money. But just the general consensus between customers and us and the store is we're not really seeing, you know, tax refund checks coming into play yet. It's just people are feeling good. They've got the, the discretionary dollars and, you know, they're going, hey, I'm going to uh, buy train stuff. Uh, it's within our store and we're down to we're the only fully stocked HO and N scale uh model railroad store in the Phoenix metro market, Tucson, even up into Flagstaff. So there's a big O scale about fifty miles away out in Mesa. And there's a couple uh lesser stores, but one of the things that we're doing is reevaluating who we're stocking, the ongoing uh, challenges facing Atlas. When I rearranged and re-footprinted the wall and the peg space, you know, I spent a lot of money with uh, Pico. Pico had the product, Code 83, Code 100, Flex, Turnouts, Insole, both Insole and Electrofrog, uh, Rail Joiners. And then on the N-scale side, Cotto, you know, their Cotto uh, track. Uh, the only thing I have in abundance from 
say like an Alice, I, I finally have no problem getting their flex track, either an N-scale or uh, HO, but it's the collateral pieces, the su- uh, support pieces. I mean, we still have people doing sectional rail tracks, nothing wrong with that, but I can't, you know, they come in, do you have 24-inch radius curves and code 100? Uh, no, I haven't seen any in about 15 months. You know, so it's just that part's frustrating, and I'm, I'm. Sh- you stopped yeah. micro You got micro yes. engineering track in there. Uh, okay, now that's is that's a strong yes. seller. No? Now yeah. here's an interesting parallel between because uh, when we had no access to Atlas, you know, Denton, Texas was pumping out micro engineering flexing code eighty three, code one hundred. Then there's Pico, Pico follows that uh, manufacturing or design process where both rails move and that allows it to bend and retain its shape. It doesn't spring back straight like Atlas. The Pico, as much as I really like microengineering, the Pico is actually easier to bend. It. You ever try, you ever tried a two by four? Or a lighter, or a big lighter. Oh, to warm things up? No, no, no. You just run it up the ties, and she'll bend to a 15-inch radius right before your eyes. And I got to tell you what, it's so funny. I did that demo on my video uh, sometime in December, I think I did that demo. And while I was laying the track the whole time this past three, four weeks, I didn't do that trick one time. I still bent it with my hands because I wanted it to be exactly – I didn't want a 15-inch radius. I wanted it to be right where I wanted it. And the nice thing about it is once you get it bent there, she stays there. So you can go back and solder all the joints before you glue the track down. The uh, I use fast tracks for my curves at home. And so if, if, if I'm doing 44s, 42s, I'll do a, a sample here, take it in, and it becomes the template that I've been to with microengineering or Pico. And, yeah, I just turn the rail upside down and let it go railhead to railhead and bend it, shape it, massage it. And when you're doing that, you can do easements. You know, you come from your tangent into an easement. So it's just it's a it's a cool way to do it because that's what I've used on the big display railroad that I built for the store, ran building for the store. So we have converted a lot of people, not because of. You know, we're on a vendetta, but just because availability of product, we've converted them to microengineering and to Pico just because I can't get brand X. When I built that HON30 layout, uh, I literally threw the layout in the back of the truck because at that point, what it was was it was a layout. (laughs) What it was 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 a product review for a steam engine. It was a product review for – Joe said, here, Ken, I'm going to send you a steam engine this HON3 stuff. I'm like, what? Uh, it's, yeah, okay. So, okay, great. That's obscure, but I'll go ahead and do it. So he sends me the steam engine. I got no freight cars. I got nothing. And I lay down three feet of track, and I'm ready to do this photo shoot. And then I plugged it in and ran it. And I was like, oh, my God. It just took 10 minutes to run that three-feet piece of track, and it looked good doing it. And so I said, all right, I'm going to build a loop. I'm going to build a great big dog bone loop so that I can do some video with this puppy. This thing's going to look good in video and sound good outside in real sunlight. Rock and roll. This is going to be good. 
And then what happened was after the video was done, the product review was done, the run by the mountains and all that stuff was done, we recreated Dallas Divide dead on. I took the layout down to microengineering, dropped it on the workbench and said, I'm gonna, I need some turnouts. I need to turn this into a layout. He's like, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, you and Pongo, you and the dog go find your turnouts and have fun. So I dug through their supply of stuff and pulled out, I don't know, eight or 10, 15 turnouts and started laying them on the layout and trying to figure out operationally what could I do with this dog bone loop of track. And, and like I said before, I turned it into a $10,000 work of art and it, it functioned. But how weird. And I wish I had that on video. What a great segment. Oh, let's just bring our layout to a track manufacturer and let's test fit some track right here while all, all the girls are walking around. You're in my way. I'm trying to assemble these parts. Ken, come on, you're in my way. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of cool having microengineering sort of right here in town. I've been there three times this week, twice for the HON3 track. I've got all the three-wheel track on the planet. There isn't any more, and they're not going to make any more until they create some new dies. They're making brand new HO scale dies right now. I watched them burn with their electronic burner, the wood grain, into the uh, track work. The dies, you want to hang them on your wall. They're beautiful. They look like jewelry. They're all shiny and silver, and they're so pretty, all the track detail. Um, it's a really fun place to do. I want to do a sh another show on them. I did a show on them two years ago when I didn't know what I was doing, and primarily it was still photography. But now if I can get a video camera in there with a jib boom, I think I could come up with some great footage and do a decent interview, show the family history for the fast past 50 years that they've been in business. And I think I think you know a couple of good black and white pictures of dad and the family and the dog and you know everything that's going on at the family business, which is literally what it is. It's so comfortable when you walk into the room of that place. Um, but dude, man, I'm not bragging, but it's sure is cool to have a track company in your back pocket. Does he? Uh, yeah, because he makes those incredible elevated uh, railway sections like you'd see in Chicago, and he makes incredible girder bridges and stuff. Does he also do that down in Fenton? Yeah, the great big dies for that stuff, you know, like the, the, the tall Vidoc dies, two feet square, and it's beautiful. It's so pretty, again, with all the detail and the silver, and it just it, – it looks like something you'd want to hang on your wall, but it weighs 150 pounds. Uh, and then they, they, lo they lock and load this stuff into these machines, and all of our track and all of our buildings come in 50-pound bags of plastic. And, I mean, I mean – the amount of time that it takes to make a piece of track is shocking to me because you've got to do four injection mold sections to make a three-foot piece of track. So it's very time-intensive to make it by hand. You know, but they run – on good seasons, they run those machines all night long. They run them around the clock 24 hours. they got three crews. And it's it's a very viable business. You know, this is where you drop in the name Craig Bishkar just because – during podcasts, just during podcasts, it's tradition. If you listen to Scotty Mason or God bless him, the gentleman that it, died uh, a couple months ago, his podcast. Um, Ryan Anderson. I, I'm blanking out again. But Ryan, Ryan, God love Ryan Anderson. God love him. Anyway, to make a long – and I did an interview with him, and he was so nice to me and so professional. I loved the death out of that guy. But every time there's a podcast, you just have to say the word Craig Bishkire once in a while. <laughs> No, he's about, my, the, he's about my, the most wonderful character person you'd ever want to meet. I mean, just saying his name makes my face hurt. <laughs> <laughs> my question, Ken, is did you, did you watch the entire DVD of mine? Um, no, did I blew through it. I fast-forwarded through it to oh. get the clips I wanted. <laughs> I made a point of mentioning Craig Biscayer in the DVD. And anybody who listens <laughs> to any of the podcasts will understand the joke. 
It is. It's like this universal. It's it's really an internet thing, you know. If you're on yeah. the internet, you listen to podcasts. That name just comes up from out of the blue, and it's a good thing. It's yeah. sort of like peanut butter jelly time, you know. <laughs> yeah. This is about the most informal interview I've ever seen in my life. It's kind of nice. <laughs> we try and we have we a good time. Keep it loose. Podcast. Yes, we do. I never right. listened and, to and it. Then, and then on every odd occasion, Paul actually That's records true. it. The recorder says it's actually going, have we, Jim. Have we started? Wow. I've got to go back and read the tutorial on how to turn it off and save it, though. Yeah, it'll oh, be really? recording your entire yeah. night conversation, Paul, right, right at your yeah, house. Everything will happen. I think I just pushed this little red button over there, but don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. <laughs> yep. Well, shoot, we've been at this for two hours. Yeah. Very good. It's what we needed. We're going to have Ken back mm-hmm. more often. He's kind I of irreverent. So. Comes from a good part of the world. I'm going to say, Boy Scott is, Boy Scott is trusty, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, for courteous, kind, obedient. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. On my honor, I'll do my best to do my duty and guide my country. Boy I Scott. remember all, all that right. stuff. I was an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I did. And my grandpa beat me to be Eagle Scout. Kenny, you're going to be an Eagle Scout. Kenny, you're going to play the trumpet. <laughs> all you do, all you do is you sit in your basement. I remember this quote. One of those times he was yelling up or something. Boy, Lord, help you if you didn't say the Lord's Prayer right at the dinner table. He got smacked. One time I, I got so scared I couldn't say it right, so I knew inevitably I was going to get smacked, so I didn't eat that night. Long story short, man, it's just unbelievable. It just Here I go again. I'm getting off of it. Hold on. Hey, 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 Ken. Yeah, man, I was on my soapbox. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Just say but mom. But he, he would, my grandpa would say to me, he said, all you do, Kenny, is you go down in the basement and you play and you play and you play with them trains. He said, that's something that somebody else has already done. You ain't going to make no money doing that. <laughs> What's a mom? Uh, we had a colorful uh, interviewer. <laughs> and, uh. We started the mongoose tradition for any sort of colorful metaphors that sort of prop up. Yeah, the, the sort of just pop it's out. The bleep. Yeah, mongoose it's the, it, the bleep. Instead of the mongoose. Well, it's okay. That keeps us from having an explicit uh, rating, and uh, innocent children like yours can still listen to the podcast. Lord, I wish we were all in the same room together. This would be kind of fun. Hey, yeah. well, that's why you just got to invite us over for July 4th there, Ken. Okay, tell Joey to bring some fireworks, man. That one year he brought <laughs> two years in a row, he brought 2,000 shells. His wife's like, he paid for this. Yeah, I know. Oh, Well, he's got this big F Phantom cockpit, a full-size jet, and he pulls it behind his truck. And, I mean, it's like three times the size of his truck. It's amazing how big this thing is. And he, he takes people's pictures at air shows and things like that with it. Or he goes to McDonald's for grand opening, and this is a, one of the attractions. And so what he does was he lent, lent this this cockpit, this airplane, to this fireworks display because it's got red, white, and blue phantom markings on it and what have you. And, it looked, and so in exchange, he got, like, all these fireworks. And so, dude, man, it was a 45-minute show. I had it in my July video. I, I put it in there. I actually put too much in. Joe edited it out. But it was a pretty good show. It really was. So it's amazing to see something like that in your own backyard that you expect to go to a public attraction and see, and you didn't pay for it. It just, like, showed up in your backyard one day. It amazes me. Joe Steinman is the most amazing person in the world. Now, what am I saying? You, have you ever met an overachiever in your life? 
who who's like on steroids. That's what this guy's like. I mean, everything he does blows my mind. He's a great helicopter pilot, flies these airplanes. One day he calls me up on the phone. He's like, hey, Ken, yeah, man, listen, there's a couple F-4 Phantoms going to fly back behind your house. I need you to take a picture of them for me because I did the paint job on one of them. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, Joe. All right, buddy, sure. All right, I'll talk to you later. And I stroll in the backyard, and I see my neighbor out there cleaning his pool. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Some guy called me up. My buddy he says there's a couple jets going to fly by. I'm supposed to take a picture of them. So at this point now, the neighbor thinks I'm nuts too. Uh, and you know what? Dude, man, they did a hairpin curve right off the back of my neighbor's house and flew right past my house, twisted their wings back and forth at me, flew by a second time. I got video and still photos. And what's Joey's going to do next week? I don't know. But uh, – <laughs> You know, who can top this guy? Everything he does, he's such a magnificent overachiever at that I would not want to compete with him in any sort of manner whatsoever. Because you wouldn't be able to sleep. You'd have to stay awake 24 hours a day. How about a Huey with ninjas coming out of it to come finish building your, your new layout? I'll sit back and watch. <laughs> That'll be the next step up. I will make another This Is Nuts video. <laughs> <laughs> Ninja's coming out to do foam carving and Ken. Well, the, the internet, <laughs> the internet is so global, and I've I've got this, I've got I don't know how many thousands of people on Facebook now, but there's this group of modelers from Argentina that make contact here in the United States through Facebook a lot with us. Not only are these guys talented, but one night when I was working on Lightner Trestle, I put a picture of me working on Lightner Trestle on Facebook. Hey, look, here's what I'm working on. And I got a picture an hour later that had four or five of these Argentinian gentlemen, these modelers, standing over my shoulder with calipers and various modeling tools, helping me build my trestle. So at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm down here thinking I'm alone and I'm working, wow, deep. <laughs> wow. It's a, it's, yeah, it's you, amazing. When you're up late like that, that's when the Ar Argentinians kind of come to your aid. <laughs> The artisans. <laughs> the artisans come to your aid. <laughs> it's just amazing the people around the world that are so good at modeling, but they don't model what we model. They model their narrow gauge of South America, or and they do it really good, and they're making their own castings and their own shells and their locomotives. And it's, it's, Facebook has opened up the entire world to us with regards to education and what we can see. Well, you mentioned it uh when I went to the meet and greet with uh, Matt Herman at ESU, and he had, because his ESU's parent in Europe actually manufactures locomotives. And so he had one of the HO scale uh, German electrics there, and they had little dash lights on the instruments. They were using, I guess, SMD LEDs. And so you look in the cab of this little locomotive, and there were the gauges glowed. So, I mean, yeah, fanatical modeling. There's another thing we should talk about, and that's the talking about similarly to what you just said with the gauges is what the Europeans are doing with the automobiles, so that they're combining their automobiles in with their trains. And I'm not I'm talking HO scale, scale moving cars that are radio remote controlled. They're taking right. pager motors. Uh, there's a gentleman here in St. Louis that's on it. He owns a BMW repair facility or something like that. So he's into the European stuff already, but he's adapted his modeling to 
the technology of the vehicles and the automobiles. Now, he was at Michael Buddy's house demonstrating them uh, two weeks ago, and doggone it, I missed it. But I'd love to get him over here and feature some of his automobiles on video doing their thing. I've got a lot of roads on this lab that would be a lot of fun to drive. Uh, we could even have a couple wrecks here at these crossings. That would be cool, too. But, the, I mean, just getting it on tape and, and getting the manufacturers, getting Wathers in the catalog to start at least stocking parts for that. You know, who's the salesman at Wathers? Get on the phone with Europe. Find out what's going on over there. These sales. Maybe you can open up a whole new demographic to the hobby shops, similarly to what Bachman did when they introduced ON30 to the market. Well, isn't it Faller that has the... Uh the road system and the vehicles that follow buried wire within the injection molded base, yes. which is pretty impressive. You're telling yes, me that's, this is a system yes. that goes beyond that. Oh, this is complete independent radio control. Now, I've looked at the little models at Radio Shack, the little HO scale, actually they're 164th scale cars that they've got. The problem with those things is they're zippity doo fast. We need them to be scale speeds. I want to be able to pull out at 12 miles an hour and just, you know, cruise down the street. That would really be neat operationally back in semis up to the truck dock, you know, the various interactions of actually being able to load an auto rack train. That would be hot. (laughs) And the technology's there. It's just without being condescending, we as Americans are ignorant towards that as the uh, Europeans are so much more adapted and advanced in that. I wish one of the manufacturers would bring it from there to here, at least something to more mainstream it. I guess I should just look at the Internet. Well, why don't we just form a consortium right here, and uh, we'll start making phone calls and inquiries and see if we can be that importer. Jim, you may have to set aside your dream for a 50-foot boxcar, but... <laughs> okay, so there's three of us. <laughs> well, it costs $3,000 to ship a container from here to there. How many can we fit in a container? That's usually the... That dictates the run. But, see, you're getting into a market where I don't want to be the first nail sticking up. I really don't because it's so new in this country that there's going to be a multi-year learning curve before you can build that business up where it will be profitable. So I don't suggest that we just okay. quit our day jobs right now. Oh, the, the head of reason comes forth. <clears throat> That's, I mean, three, you know, for instance, you know, you have um, uh, Jim Scoris from uh, NCE. You know, uh, Wangrove is the one that started Kind of along the same lines as what you were talking about, Ken, is while Jim Scores was doing all the most of the work, it was his software, and you know he was figuring all all of it out. Um, that you know the Wangrove kit system came first and kind of broke ground, where you know once he passed, um, Jim Scores was able to pick it up from there, and he's you know grown leaps and bounds, sort of. All right. Well, Simple. this is for this is for Chris Palomares because I just realized we've got a manufacturer on the telephone here with us. What? Who? Where? Uh, who me? Hey, Chris. <laughs> what? You know, you know that guy in the RC department. Do me a oh, favor. Oh yeah, that one. Do me guy. a favor Monday morning, okay? Take one of the Atherin Kenworth trucks. Give him a truck <laughs> and just put it in front of him and say, "Look, make this work." You know, you know, with all the cool tools they've got in that Horizon RC department that they could power up an Atherin Kenworth by tomorrow afternoon, and we'd have a working concept model. That guy could do it. Well, he could not only make that thing go, he could have that thing turn into a quadcopter before your eyes. We don't want it to fly, dude. I just want to drive it. (laughs) 
but you know what I'm saying? Back to the future, you actually you know, have the resources right there that over lunch hour he could he could think tank it through. I don't know about all that, but I, I, I'm sure I do. That... I've been there. I've seen the guy. I've seen the glass booth. <laughs> I've been there. I suggested it to Shane uh, a year ago because I wanted to put the truck in there, but I was I didn't want to go in the room with him. Yeah, yeah. But... Those guys are eccentric. They seriously are. But anyway, Dude, man, this, this is like the black <laughs> department. This is the undiscussed black department at Horizon where they develop technology, and he's the guy doing it. Yeah, the old skunk works. Yeah, this is skunk works, man. See yeah, the it's the there. unmentionable. You know, this thing does not exist. So, <laughs> totally groom leg right there. Uh, yeah, but honestly, I, I, I think there's total upward potential for, you know, vehicles in HO scale. You know, and and, the, and also including, um, you know, some sort of interaction between the model railroad and then also these cars. So that's a complete gimme as far as I'm concerned. It's just a matter of like <laughs> what you were saying, bringing it over from Europe instead of trying to reinvent the wheel on that. Maybe we can just get a license agreement. Well, you know, the, the biggest hurdle is not necessarily the technology that goes inside the car. It's actually the design of the car itself, because a lot of these body styles are, you know, intellectual property to, you know, Chevrolet and Ford and, you know, just Mac. don't put a mark, you just don't put a label on it. Don't put the name on it. Just make it look the same shape, but put don't put the name on it. Yeah, you can get away with that. I know manufacturers get away with that. Call it the yeah. Patterson and the Lincoln now. We'll call it the Harrison. I mean, just the Harrison. How much is how much are licensing fees? Maybe it's worth doing it. Just pay the licensing fee and be done with it. Now you got you make four excursions. They got enough room in there. You can pack a bunch of electronics. Yeah. Well, then it comes down to what year. The, the biggest problem with cars. Do and, the Atherton Kenworth truck? You already got that. Yeah. You know, well, you know there are some things that we do have that we we could look into. But as far as like someone going, oh, hey, yeah, I want like uh, this Chevy S10, you know, well, oh, crud, you know, you got to look at doing the body style. You got to get the permission from Chevy and all that fun stuff. So that that's the biggest hurdle as far as doing cars. You must have a have Ford to. license because you did the Model A's and Model T's. We do have a Ford license. So Viking, those people, I mean, they're all making American prototype trucks from different eras so in cars i i can't comment on what they're doing because honestly i don't know i only know about what's going on with Athern. well no i mean so. i stock all this stuff so i know it's it's flowing out of uh horizon and out of walther's on a daily basis well yeah i mean yeah we can we sell that stuff but it does you can as a distributor sell that stuff and not have to worry about the licenses as far as the the manufacturer the creator of that you need Chris can neither confirm nor deny the existence or status of any existing product. Yeah. Past product, I could tell you all about. That's right. New product? <laughs> yeah, all right. I've been working on a layout way too long. I need to get out of this basement. <laughs> Take a break. <laughs> well, if the grass would turn green, I can go out and cut it. That'd be like a vacation. Plowing the snow the other day was a vacation. That was kind of nice. So, so what's what's up ahead for your garden layout, Ken? Uh, my throttle quit working. I was looking on eBay to see how much an Aristocraft throttle was going to cost me for a new one, 
it'll go forwards but not backwards. I don't feel like messing with it, so I'm just going to let it sit out there all winter, and I'll deal with it when the weather gets warm. I'm not making any snow footage this year. Maybe I'll pick up a couple of USA trains, locomotives in the spring and get enthusiastic about it again. But right now, with the weather being the way it is, I'm happy as content as could be just working on the home layout and getting all my jobs done. Bachman sent me a box full of stuff this week. I got to get started shooting three-rail O-scale stuff and some new models in HO for them. Atherin sent me a box of locomotives. I don't know what they are, but I'm going to look at them figure it out. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just starting to get busy again, and I'm building a switchyard. I'm building a switchyard scene, which tomorrow I'm going to run out of microengineering, pick up eight left-hand number rights, one left-hand uh, right, left, whatever. Anyway, I'm going to pick up ten switches <laughs> and try to lay out this yard per the photograph and just nail it because I think this diorama is going to be very useful for other projects. Oh, so yeah. I'm just looking forward to getting in the car, getting down there, smelling the grease and oil of the factory and grabbing some more turnouts tomorrow to get this job done because I want to nail it. I've, I was planning on using some of my old Shinohara turnouts that are used in Ratty because no trains will ever run on this track. But the more I looked at the picture, why not just put a little extra effort into it and nail it? So that's what I'm going to do. That's the spirit. So There's no Jim such said, thing as no. Apply the three-foot rule in Actual HO feet. You made the wise decision. <laughs> Benny Hill starts getting queued up again right now. Yeah. <laughs> Can you play that on your harmonica, Ken? I'm going to pull out my, pull out my Yeah, trumpet. that's copyright free right there, isn't it, Paul? But... Uh, yakety sax. <laughs> that would probably be pretty good in a uh, harmonica. I, like I did the October What's Neat This Week video, and I opened it up with live guitar music. One of the guys up the street uh, is a fluid guitar player, and he came out here, entertained us, serenaded us, whatever. And I was like, dude, man, I'm pulling out the video camera. I need some of your footage of what you're doing. And I took that music that he played out on the bluff during that moonrise and dropped it in with some Garden Railroad footage and made a great uh, 12-minute opening for um, the video that ran in October. Uh, 2014. And I'm like, yeah, isn't it great? It's like a totally different show than last month. Every month it's different. It's the variety show. He's like, dude, man, it's supposed to be what's neat this week. What's neat with what you got going on? Well, the guy, that's exactly my idea. If you're going to watch the show, you're going on a ride. And I don't know where the ride's going to go because I don't know what's coming next week. I hope it's a good week. But whatever it is, you're there with me in the video cameras. It's literally a live show of my life. And who comes here, who I get to meet, the models I get to see, the people I get to meet. Um, it's really that's that's kind of what it is, really. And it's got a it's got a life of its own. It's I don't know what June show is going to be. I don't even know. But it'll be something. Got <laughs> Invite get, ourselves to a barbecue. <laughs> I got Barry Silverthorne coming here March 15th. He's going to come hang out for five days. And I don't know what we're going to do. Michelle's, Michelle's going to take the kids and leave and go to Grandma's house, so I don't know what me and Barry are going to do. I look forward to him. I'd love to get him on video, but he's so shy that he doesn't want cameras pointed at him, which I'd love to do a behind-the-background story on the guy, a little bit of his background, and then talk about his train station that he built that he lives in because there's a really good story there. There's a good story in him coming here. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to pull out the net and capture it or not. As soon as I pull out the camera, he might freeze up on me and tell me no. And in that case, then, I don't know. I actually don't know even why he's coming here. I don't know. I just know I'm ready for him. Um, so what's he going to do then? Are we going to do what's neat this week's on what I got going on? Well, I can't lose material for my show. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it'll be very interesting to see. Maybe I'll just put the weed eater in his hand and we'll clear the cliff. <laughs> 
That that's the best idea I've heard so far. Come on, Barry. Come on. I need your help gardening. Yeah, let's get to work. Let's, let's get, get to green work. Soon. You know, you gotta you gotta cut that stuff down before the green vegetation. Well, comes well, up. what what you did is you lure him down, saying, "Hey, I need your help working this yard." And he comes yeah. down, not expecting to hold a weed eater. You know. Well, you can watch trains from the edge of the cliff as they go by. Just swing that that double handlebar steel back and forth. And what's amazing about that machine is you can go through two and a half inch saplings, and as they're falling, you swing back and you can cut them in half as they fall down. It's, it's an it's a very incredible machine. The, the guy at the store is like, "You don't want this. This is what the highway department uses." I'm like, "Dude, man, I got a yes, cliff." Yes, I do. I, I was like, <laughs> That's I, even, I need, you just sold me. <laughs> yeah, I need the biggest piece of artillery you can sell me. So he's like, "Well, here, fifteen hundred bucks. It's yours and rock and roll, baby. That's what I needed." And I've but the hardest thing is is clearing the because originally there was full blown vegetation behind my house and you couldn't see the trains. So once I built that twelve foot by five foot deck hanging right off the edge of the cliff with a fifteen inch overhang, then I had to see the trains. So that meant I had to strategize and figure out how to cut these trees without them falling across the tracks down below. So during one of the legal models, the lawyers took me up in a helicopter, and I asked the pilot, can we fly past my house? I want to get some pictures of it. So I photographed them, put them up in the spray booth here, and studied those pictures for about a week. And, I mean, I was chewing on adrenaline the whole time because it was scary as hell how big these were. Well, one day track crew came by. And I was listening to the scanner, and they had Amtrak held up for the next seven hours. And I'm like, green light, baby. So I ran down there with the steel saw, gassed up oil, extra bar, extra chain, everything I needed. And I started dropping trees across the track. Rail crew came back. Oh, whoa, 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 what's going on? I'm dropping trees across the track. Amtrak ain't coming for six hours, right? The guy's like, who are you? I'm like, I live here, and I'm dropping trees to clear my view so I can watch your trains. He's like, okay, well, let me get a chainsaw and help you. And so next thing I know, I had Union Pacific down there helping me clear my bluff. And it was wonderful. I can imagine. Yeah, because they're like, were you on your property when you were cutting the trees? Yes. Yeah, well, then you're fine. They're, they're yes. like, well, I mean, we've got to get these things out of the way. <laughs> yes, it was in there. It, it, was, it all worked out good, man. It, yeah. it really did. It's so all about I, building America right there, Ken. So once I had the 14-car length view where I could actually see it, and then I got the laser GPS measuring devices out and started measuring it, and then I had to build it. And that's when I built the bluff. And it was just like, you know, it was a scene out of uh, whatever the movie is, uh, Close Encounters, where everybody's making the same mashed potato mountain, but nobody knows why. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Well, yeah, hey, I, I, at least you got a little help there from UP chopping up those trees. Yeah, it was better than getting arrested or something for sure. <laughs> it's not uncommon for for trees to disappear right before steam engines come through town. Various farmers lose trees, and there's various areas along the UP mainline in Illinois where trees just disappear. Because you've got to clear the, and the steam engine only comes through every five or six years. And by then, you got all these saplings that are growing back again right at the bridge where you want to do the photos. So, yeah, it's those midnight chainsaw episodes, man, chewing some more adrenaline. <laughs> Firewood, we all need it. Yeah, it's waiting for the combine to do a right turn with those headlights so he doesn't see the tree actually fall. <laughs> What's going on over there? Are, are the Union Pacific guy that drives by in the white truck, and he stops on the bridge and looks down at you, and you're trying to hold the chainsaw behind your left leg. And he's like, what are you doing down there? 
Uh, yeah, what's that chainsaw I see there? <laughs> Nothing. You know there's a steam engine coming through town. He's like, no, I don't know anything about it, but I know your name. Do you know who I am? I'm like, no. He's like, I'm friends with Joe Steinman. So, again, <laughs> here comes Joe Steinman. He knows everybody, and if you drop the name, you're either going to get shot or you're going to get buried with gifts. Well, Go to KenPatterson.com and check out those cool videos, you guys. There might be something there that you like. Serious. I'm actually serious because, you know what, I always pump that website for the videos, but there's a lot more content on that website. That website contains all the slides that I shot during my mainline from 1991 up until about 2007, and that's where the pictures cut off on my website. So all the old good stuff, the old Waters catalogs and the mainline modeler covers and just all the really cool stuff that – that is timeless material. It's not that technology makes those pictures look obsolete. It doesn't. There's some good stuff there just for, and all the courtroom models I've built are there. If you're interested in building models for lawyers, here's the tip of the day. Change your life tomorrow. If you don't like your job and you don't like your life, listen. Pick up the phone book, open it to A for attorney, and start dialing for dollars. Because if you're even a mediocre model builder, your talents are in excess of what a lawyer generally expects. And with regards to just getting it right, it's all about dimensions and measurements. If you can work math, you can get a model accurate. And you can have a whole new career tomorrow. You only need about one of those every six weeks to make a decent living. Call the lawyers, build some courtroom models, and take the modeling that you do every single day at your workbench and make some money with it. Impress your family and wife. Have a good life. Enjoy it. Ken, that sounded just like what I hear on an infomercial. That is an uncanny. I think I should make a video on that subject and walk you through the whole process. I think you should. And, but, but we need a flashing call now yes. at the bottom. But wait, there's know? more. If you called, we'll double your order. <laughs> call now, we'll throw in two lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Who knows? Boy. Listen, there's nothing to say. Again, you couldn't act as an consultant for some of these law firms and help them save six months' worth of research time simply because you're familiar with the end of a boxcar. You can name the parts, and they can't. That's worth money. That is a talent that a lawyer could use if they have litigation cases with railroads. Mm. Okay. And that's KenPatterson.com, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Click now. Yeah. <laughs> Ken will give you, guide you through this life-changing career it's, event. It just makes total sense. It's total simple Simon fall on your face. It's again, we're back to tipping a boot upside down and reading the directions on how to dump that and still being able to fail at it. <laughs> I've, got, I've got that analogy in my head. Grandpa, God love him. He's rolling over in his grave because I'm making money on trains, playing with those trains every day. But the fact is, it just makes sense. There's a hundred lawyers in every single city. Demographically, it doesn't even matter where you live. Pick up the yellow pages, open it up, and start dropping your name. Call three times, call five times. Call for six months, and the next thing you know, you're going to have a clientele built up of respected lawyers, and you might just build a pothole. My last model that I built was a pothole. It was so beautiful. I wrapped it in black oak. <laughs> it was six feet square. It had wheels so it could roll in and out. <laughs> it was a beautiful pothole. It was a $3,000 pothole. Uh, guys, this is serious. If you really want to make this, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to make you make a boxcar right now. But the fact is, if you want to do this, it's there. It's to be had. You just got to pick up the phone and go through the effort and change your life tomorrow. 
I mean, you could make a hundred grand a year building models. You're already building models in your basement. Why not make it pay off? You see, Jim, that's how you can get that 5344 boxcar. Just fall off one and then sue the railroad and then have Ken Patterson build that boxcar for you as like a, a courtroom model. No. Yeah, but he's got because <laughs> I can't. I got to pay the lawyer. I got to go hurt. I got to be able to pay the lawyer. Yeah, and I and I don't work around freight anymore. So no no fee unless you collect. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then at the, and then at the end of the advertisement, they play a little piano music and they say, "Oh, by the way, advertisements are no real way to find a lawyer." I'm expecting to hear a pitch on the magic bullet slicer and dicer for well, carriage. Yeah, carriage. You could do that with ground phone. Yeah, with ground phone. You too. <laughs> right. You too can make your own ground phone. It slices and dices. It if makes you had, size, you it had makes any size like ground foam you want. Hobby, you want the big clumpy you? stuff? You want the really what small stuff? Your favorite, it does it all. What would be your favorite thing to pitch in the hobby? What's the one product that you use the most that you could actually sell? This was fun, man. I can't believe how laid back this was. Well, we could be more stuffy and obnoxious if you like. Oh, God. Every time a podcast comes up, I always get so nervous, man. The day before, I'm just like on pins and needles. And I didn't get no warning today. Chris called me at 6 and said, hey, QU podcast. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's how I roll, Ken. It's all good. You're coming on, man. It's all good, man. I'm with you. There's no such thing as no, Chris. I'm talking to well, Jim well, Lincoln. I mean, well, Jim Lincoln. Please. Wow. Dude, seriously, you are respected in the industry. You are. You do good what? work, and you're very professional. Your demeanor is very professional. Look at me. I'm flying by the seat of my pants over here, man, you know? So was I. <laughs> That was fun, though. Yeah, your persistence with the freight car was fun. It's oh. nice to have a little bit of a – that was fun in the podcast. You know, it'll either annoy somebody or make them laugh. <laughs> it's been sort of an ongoing thing between Jim and I for, uh, uh, well, a month. I'd say probably uh, – yeah, Months? A month. Months? Month and a half. No, but yeah, but yeah, exactly. Month and a half. It's yeah. been a month. Yeah, a bit a month. Because I since Springfield back in October, is, yes, back in October, he's busting your chops about the. Oh, it was, about, it was about the big boy. What you didn't go over to Cahoe Pass to see the big boy? <laughs> <laughs> Once in a lifetime, and you didn't Once go. Once in a lifetime experience, and you didn't go see the big boy. <laughs> it wasn't running by itself. Nobody cares. But hey, wait a minute. We made, we made it run, except for we did a coal load instead of an oil load, and we didn't have support cars behind it. Ah, that's all right. And on the DD40 shot, the engines weren't the right era together. We're, we still have. We're still making mistakes. We gotta. We gotta make no more mistakes. I, I want to get on the internet and have no way for somebody to criticize us and be legit. I want to just absolutely grab them by the. Just you can't say anything. This is it. We nailed it. Uh, there's no reason not to be the best. We only get one chance at this. Uh, I mean, yeah. life doesn't last forever. Let's just let's. And what I said on the podcast is absolutely for real. There's never been a collaboration in the industry of two people with like interests that complement each other as much as me and Chris Palomares. I'm living it. It's really cool to live. But if I were on the outside looking at it, I'd still be able to identify it for what it is. It's going to be rich for all of us because we're going to have a bunch of cool pictures to look at. We hit we hit that that button on that. <laughs> On, we hit that button. Yeah, that. I, Call at the now. Store, man, I, I used to sell lawnmowers at the hardware store, and I had a good time with it. It was a way to get out of work, and mm. but I don't get to do it very often. You don't get to do that down here building trains. Yeah. No, I love the experience with you uh, uh, that you gave on the uh, A Modeler's Life about the uh, the article series that you wrote on ON30. 
Boys, I got to go take some more drugs. Well, that sounds like a, a brilliant idea for the podcast subject. Yeah, no, these are. Uh, what do you live in Colorado? These are prescription medications to control the creeping crud. Oh, I gotcha. Somebody came in the store with creeping crud the other day, and I apparently inhaled some of their some of their germs. Eesh, yuck. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> Well, Ken, I appreciate all your time. I'm just hanging out with you guys, man. This is just very informal and relaxing, and I don't have to build anything. <laughs> and then, good grief, where are we? We're pushing, well, we're after 11 o'clock for Mr. Lincoln. What time do you have to go to go work tomorrow? somewhere else. <laughs> in the, in, I don't have to go to work, but it's similar to work. Okay. 